How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensen. Tim, how's it going, sir? Going good, going good. Got a good workout in today with uh, the new set of barbells and adjustable dumbbells that uh, my wife and I bought. Excellent, man. Excellent. How much did that put you guys back? Uh, so it was 190 bucks for the bar, the sorry, the bar for the dumbbells, the bar for the barbell, uh, the, all the clips, which are pretty nice. And I want to say about in total, about a hundred pounds of weights. Hmm. So it was actually a pretty good price. Right. Because normally you pay about a pound, a buck a pound of weight. Yeah. Plus then you pay for all the other stuff on top of that. But, uh, with, uh, supply crunches, uh, it's just impossible to find weights. Really? Yeah, like Canadian Tire will just have like crappy five pounders and you'll be paying like 20 bucks each for them. It's it's ridiculous, man. It's ridiculous. But I'll tell you what's not ridiculous today is today's episode because even though COVID postponed some games, it doesn't mean we can't have a third host on today's episode. So I'm very proud to say that today's co-host is a returning guest to the program, making his third, that's right, you heard that correctly, third appearance here on the Third Line Plug Sensecast. Please welcome back to the show. Joining us from Edmonton, Alberta, Joseph Santamore. Hey. Joseph, how you doing, man? Welcome back to the show. Thanks, guys. I'm doing great. How are you guys? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. You know, obviously with Tim getting some weights, and we're really excited to have you back on. So it's been a good day, man. I, good. I was just gonna say, Tim, I live, I live literally a stone's throw away. I don't use my weights. Like I could have sold you guys mine. Shit. Well, right, I mean, right now they're just collecting dust. Shit. Damn. <laughs> And you're right, though. The pricing has gone up during COVID just because everybody's had nothing better to do but work out, right? So Yeah, pretty much. It was funny because, like, for the first year in our house, Chelsea and I just had, like, one set of eight-pound uh, dumbbells. So we're doing all of our exercises with that. And now I'm just working with 10 plus the bar on each dumbbell. I'm like, oh, this is heavy. this is actually kind of heavy. <laughs> but I'll get back into it. Now, are you – now, the workouts you're using, are you standing up or are you sitting on a bench doing it? Oh, it's all standing yeah okay so yeah if you're standing from a standing position then yeah you're gonna have a lot more resistance than where you're sitting down right but but no even for us like even during covid like we bought a treadmill and that's what kind of kept me in shape because honestly there's i I get it the covid weight really was put on a little bit i mean when you're going through how much beer and snacks over several days it's just like okay something's gonna change here guys i had to to quit smoking plus covid that's the weight i gained wow so, <laughs> but, but I, I have a toddler. I have a toddler though. That's true. Well, it's yeah. funny, Joseph, because last time you were on, your little one was what, maybe a year old, if that? Not even. I think he was, uh, if I'm not wrong, maybe just four or five months old. Yeah, because yeah. I think it's been, what, two years since you last been on the show. So Just about almost two and a half, yeah. And now he's going to be three in three weeks. Uh, wow. He's He's got the energy of the flash. It's insane. He just doesn't stop. <laughs> Well, I really did appreciate your photo you threw up on social media today. What was it? You took your son to a sushi restaurant and he had the chopsticks in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. Did he look like a walrus with them sticking yeah. on both sides? <laughs> Read a nice sushi restaurant. The wife's like, let's take him to a nice sushi restaurant. And I said, this this can't go wrong. Literally, before we even got to order, that's what he did. Pulled the chopsticks apart, stuck them in his mouth, and he looked around. He stood on the bench. He started looking around at everybody. He's just smiling with chopsticks coming out of his mouth. Uh, this kid's so funny, though. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. Wait least, a couple of years. Japanese people done. like kids a lot, so they probably just thought it was great. <laughs> I don't like kids, to be honest with you, just mine. <laughs> so if I looked at that, I probably would have been like, I'm annoyed. Yeah. Mm. We'll just wait a couple of years till he starts using his drumsticks on the table, though. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. It's going to be... It's going to be fine, man. But you know what? Hey, he's yours and not anybody else's. So all you can do is laugh, right? Preach. Yeah. So Joseph, I'm really excited to have you back on the show. Not only because it's your third time and second time being a co-host here, but we also got a great cover athlete to talk about. So let's get right into this. Today's episode is season five, episode six in chronological order. Episode 101, the Ray Emery edition of the third line plug, Sensecast. So just a little background about Ray Emery. He was drafted 99th overall by the Ottawa Senators in 2001. He spent f- parts of five seasons with the Senators recording a 71, 40, and 14 record with a .907 save percentage. Following his departure from the centers in 2008, he would spend a year in the KHL before returning to the NHL in 2009 with the Philadelphia Flyers. He would later play parts of six seasons with Philadelphia, Anaheim, and Chicago, winning a Stanley Cup and the William Jennings Trophy with Chicago in 2013 before tragically passing away on July 15th, 2018. So let's talk about Ray Emery. Razor is one of these guys who... I think of a guy in a weird way, kind of like a Dennis Rodman because he was a guy who turned heads on and off the ice on the ice. He turned heads with his athletic aggressive style off the ice. You saw with his erratic behavior, including the road rage incident in 2008 and a comment that Ian Mendez actually made on the show is that he felt that Ray Emery was kind of ahead of his time in terms of his brashness and his personality and how he perfectly would have been suited for the landscape today with social media being the way it is. So I actually want to open the floor here, guys. Like when talking about Ray Emery, and you know the funny, talking about the cover outings we've had in the past, you always talk about guys and you just go, what do we really say? Razor is the kind of guy that you just look at him and be like, where do you even start? Yeah, and what's funny is when Ray Emery was healthy, he was an all-world goalie. Like we're talking about a guy who at five on five on five averages 0.9394 over a season when he's healthy. Like that's incredible stuff. The problem is his hips were just never a hundred percent all the time. It's funny because it's he had he kind of had that mercurial aggressive personality too. And it's kind of fitting that his bot his body played the way that his personality played too. Yeah, and I found in many ways, if you want to compare Ray Emery to a current goalie, Robin Leonard, where he was a really good goalie. He had a lot of personal issues. He was aggressive. Uh, he wasn't afraid to throw it down if he had to, but he could never land himself uh, a team long enough to, to really call home. But it was always an outstanding goalie. So uh, for me, when I think of Razor, I think of uh, the guy that would always protect his teammates. Uh, he didn't care what position he played. He was going to protect his teammates. Uh, he can steal a game for you. Uh, like you said, his health was a bit of an issue. His uh, extracurriculars outside of the game, uh, I think, was also a big big part of his life, and it was very public a lot of the times. But uh, when you look at it, like, I don't know about any other team personally, but I know in Ottawa, like Ray Emery is still considered one of the fan favorites, of all-time fan favorites. Like, it was Razor. Like, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, he he became Razor playing in Ottawa, and then 
he went his own way. Like he went to the KHL uh, where he left the KHL. I think it was for contract disputes and he got into a physical altercation with one of the equipment managers or something, but like he was just bigger than life personality. I mean, like looking back at it, Ray Emery's uh, justification for getting into that physical altercation with uh, the equipment trainer in the KHL is like, he got called the N word basically. So it's like at that point, I'm not surprised Ray Emery did that. And I can't, really lay fault to the guy yeah so two things about that is one I, I i didn't even know that i uh i never looked into it too deep uh of course him being out of the league i was paying attention to what's happening in the league yeah. and two i guess it's gonna sound terrible it's not against the khl but at the same time when you're playing in a russian league is it really surprise you that stuff like that happens it doesn't surprise me no it doesn't and you know, it's funny because when talking about the KHL and obviously shows like Spit and Chicklets, I think have really revealed just how the KHL really runs teams. When you talk about the mafia side of it and now with this whole thing with Ray Emery, when talking about Razor, one of the things that really comes to mind, especially when you look at it nowadays instead of now then is really when you look at Ray Emery. Off the ice, he was kind of like a hockey version of Allen Iverson in a weird way. He had the rope chains, the backwards hat, the tattoos. And obviously with the NHL being a predominantly white sport, the NHL was very behind the times when it came to minority players and how they presented themselves. You saw it in the NFL with the Deion Sanders. You saw it in the NBA with the Allen Iversons. And along comes Ray Emery. And the NHL has never seen anything or anybody like this. And they're just like, what? Okay, how do we really... A, present this, but also how do we even really take this, right? Because I remember even TSN years ago would show him with like the flashy suits and the white hammer and you saw like, holy shit, like here's a guy who's so out of the box of the time. Don, of the Don, Cherry, Don Cherry loved him for the suits. Don Cherry loved Ray Emery for the suits. Yeah, well, he had some great suits though, let's be honest. He did. Well, they popped. Did, holy shit. Did, did you guys ever hear the cockroach story? The parking lot cockroach oh, story? That's so Emery? good. Yeah. Yeah, you guys. <laughs> With fucking Alfie pays him 500 bucks. To I, I think cockroach. what it was is, is is all the players that were in attendance kind of dug in their wallets for it put together like 500 bucks. <laughs> right. And then they found like the orange, the cockroach on the right outside the orange Lambo. And then they gave him the money to eat it and he did it. And then he, he used just, it for and, a tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that guy, honestly, man, that's one thing I loved about him too was like, crazy stupid things like that that i'm like 500 bucks I'm like whoa i'll do that for 500 bucks to him his mentality was like yeah i'll do that for 500 bucks because i'm still the average guy <laughs> it was just 100 well and you know when talking about ray emery the one guy that always comes to mind is brian mcgratton and mcgratton got interviewed by spit chicklets i don't know maybe a couple of years ago now and he talked at length about ray emery and his time in ottawa and the one story that really sticks out is when they were playing in bingo and the one story was that it was a halloween party and I believe Brian went as Happy Gilmore and Ray Emery went as Chubbs. And so somebody <laughs> in the bar, because Razor, I guess, went to Golf Town or one of these sort of stores. So he had like the sweater and everything with the tags and somebody tried to grab the tags off. Mm. Well, somebody did. And next thing you know, Razor's chasing him through the bar into the parking garage and McGratton's coming right after him. And they got into an altercation in the parking garage. And that was sort of the thing when. You know, when you talk about aggressive style that Ray Emery did, I think that was it really was his downfall in Ottawa. And it's funny how winning really does mitigate a lot of things, because when you saw in 2007, his behavior might have been very acceptable because the Sens were winning one year later when the Sens really nosedived into the ground and you saw how Ray Emery really presented himself. It was like, okay, this is not funny. This is more of a distraction more than anything. 
Yeah, which is sad. I mean, I mean, right now I would love to have Ray Emery in his prime in Ottawa, just with all the goaltending uh, foes that are happening. But yeah, it really was a distraction. Um, I like you said, I remember being late to the airport, getting into that that little bumper, uh, the little accident on the highway on the way to the airport, or was it when you got off the plane? And it was it was in Anaheim, and it was just crazy, right? Just stuff like that uh, and then i still actually i was listening to it not too long ago a friend of mine sent it to me uh on on youtube and he was just like hey remember this and it's that that belly rap with with ray emery in, in the intro and it was just so classic and then when they start rapping about all the names you're like man i totally forgot about this this is so awesome ray emery was into everything i loved it he was well, that photo of him with snoop dogg and, his, and snoop dogg's wearing the sense jersey oh uh, yeah it's awesome man <laughs> i swear to god he uh that guy, I, I think, got us a lot of publicity outside of Ottawa because of he's Ray Emery, right? He did. And it's funny because when you see how talented of a team the Senators were at the time, when you look at you had the cash line, you had Wade Red, and you had Mike Fisher. And yet, when people who are casual hockey fans, Ray Emery is generally the one guy that they think of of that period of time. Now, the one moment I do got to ask is uh, when talking about memorable moments – the fight with Marty Biron slash Andrew Peters in Buffalo in 2007, that's got to be the single defining moment of his tenure in Ottawa. Would you guys agree? Yes. It's as far as like when you think of the first thing that comes to mind uh, visibly, like when you think about it, yeah, that's the first thing I, I think of is him and Peters holding each other and Ray Emery's smile. It's that picture. Or it's like him skating up to Marty Biron with this, big fucking grid on his face and I'm gonna <laughs> kick your ass and just like oh, fuck he did Peter like, always like shit <laughs> well it's just like that whole brawl is like an iconic moment for that Sens era because it sums up a very strong rivalry so well which is now gone yeah <laughs> Which is sad, right? Because when you think of the rivalries the Senators have, Toronto will always be the number one team that everybody thinks of. Buffalo was pretty close behind them because you look at their playoff series in 97, 99, 2006, 2007. And there's a series that I don't think are talked about as much as nearly, with exception, say, 97, 2006, 2007. But, you know, that rivalry with Buffalo, though, and it's because both teams were Good. A lot of people tend to forget how good Buffalo really was coming out of the lockout where some publications really picked them as being a bottom feeder team. Now, the last thing I want to talk about Ray Emery is his tragic passing in 2018. And for myself, Joseph, I remember exactly where I was when I learned about Ray Emery's passing. And it's because I was actually with Tim at the time, because I, a couple of, when Ray Emery passed away, it was during the stampede, the stampede in yeah. Calgary. So Tim and his wife, Chelsea, took me out sightseeing like the final day I was actually there. We got back to the hotel and I'm opening up Twitter and I see... We got back to my house. No, we were at the apartment. Yeah. Sorry. We were at my place, not the hotel. Sorry. My my bad. Jesus. I don't live at a hotel. Come on. It's a story <laughs> straight, man. Don't take his side. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So we get back to Tim's apartment and I'm flipping through Twitter and I see Bonk Smollett tweeted out. He's just oh my God, I can't believe about Ray Emery. And I'm thinking, what the, what's he talking about? And I scroll down and he keeps talking about it. So I'm like, okay, something's going on here because everybody's talking about it. So I Googled it and Ray Emery had just announced that Ray Emery passed away. And I'm in the back of the 
rental car. And I'm like, holy shit. And Tim's looking at me going, what? I'm like, Ray, Ray Emery just died. Like, that's a moment right there where you're like, oh, my God, like, 35 years old, too. That's what really shocked me more than anything because it was just like, you know, you think of a guy who you saw how he played in Ottawa. His career was on the downturn. He turns his career around, wins the Stanley Cup. Everything looks great. And then he loses his life in the end. Yeah, and the, and the circumstances around his drowning, uh, a lot a lot came out, right? And it's just he partied, and he partied a little too much that night, I guess. Um, but, I mean, that's just a story that we heard, right? How many athletes do that? We just don't hear about it, right? Because, you know, they don't drown. But I guarantee you, uh, so many people came out judging him. It was just like, do any NHL players probably do the exact same thing every year, and you just don't know about it? Yeah. But anyways, I, and I do remember I was I was I was in the backyard. A buddy of mine owns uh, Patty Bullens, uh, which is where Ray Emery he frequented the bar a lot. He's the one who called me from Ottawa, and he was just like, "Yo, did you hear about Ray Emery?" And I said, "I said no." He goes, "It's all over Twitter." And I said, uh, "Okay, well, I haven't, I haven't opened Twitter all day. I had guests over from out of town, uh, so I guess uh, Tim and I had that in common. We both had guests." <laughs> um, so I look, I Sam, I opened Twitter, and I was just trying to find whatever information I can find, and then. Um, I think when I first got the full story it was actually on ET Canada. His ex girlfriend, uh, Keisha Shante, right, is is from Ottawa as well, and she was on ET Canada. And one of the hosts had kind of broke the the full out story as to what happened, and I was just like, "Holy crap! Like that's crazy." It was, and you know, even going back, when you when you watch the Ray Emery tribute they did versus the Dallas stars. The shot that breaks my heart every time I see it was Jason Spezza on the bench. And he just, you can see him just full on breaking down on the yeah. bench. Yeah. It's, it's tough because he, he had a lot of friends in the league. Like he made a lot of friends like him and Spezza were really good friends. I know him and Wade Redden were really good friends as well. Um, and it's just, yeah, him and McGratton and McGratton and him had a lot of the same struggles outside of the outside of the game, right? So I think they grew their bond that way as well. And they're both, you know, they like to fight. Yeah, it's like I, I didn't I didn't get emotional, but I know a lot of fans who did, and, and I understand why. Like he was like I'm 35. To me, like my my prime in life, I was watching Ray Emery as the goalie for the Ottawa Senators. So like to me, like it brings back like my prime in life. Like this is the goalie that was there. And it's just it's 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 tough to even think about it. It's just it's crazy. Like it's so hard to think about the fact that you know Ray Emery is not with us anymore. Well, it's like imagine just like tomorrow you're not there. Like it's just over. Exactly. Like that's terrifying. It is. Well, it's funny, Joseph, that you talk about you think of Ray Emery, especially in the prime of your life, watching him play for the Senators, and Tim and I were the same way because. He was a member of the Senators right where he and I became fans of the team. So obviously we have that connection with Ray Emery and that really hit home that we're just like, Oh my God, like Ray Emery died. Like of, of all people. Right. And I, we knew about, we heard about the struggles. We heard about how he redeemed himself. And it's a shame that that's the way that he ended up going out in life too. Yeah. Yeah. But that's kind of the cards that were dealt for him. Unfortunately, he had a rough life. He had a lot of success in life, and yep. you know, hopefully, his family's doing okay. Hundred percent. 
So we got to plug in next week's cover athlete poll because next week's episode is season five, episode seven in chronological order, episode 102. Now we got three big names on the board. We've got Neon, Dion Phaneuf, Dylan DeMello, and Artem Zoom. Oh, we're going to have a good amount to talk about no matter who wins that poll, right? 100%. It's, it's tough, man, because Dion Phaneuf, we joke, call him a pylon, but he was a big part of, of the Senators' run and well, their identity. Boston goals? Holy shit. Yeah, exactly, right? And then Zub, well, it's Zub. Like, you just can't not talk about Zub. Zub is Zub today, right? And then DeMello's, though. I, to me, DeMello's the guy that got away. He was really solid in Ottawa. So those are three guys who, in one way or another, have had or currently have a, a big impact on the team. 100%. And, you know, like I said, like, we're going to have a lot to say about it, regardless of who wins. And at the moment, I checked before we started this recording, Artem Zub is currently winning. So I'm not surprised. I'm obviously, but we're gonna have a lot to talk about for next week's episode, Tim. Mm-hmm. And it'll be good. 100%. Now, it's also going to be good is that, as I said off the top, this is the first time Joseph's been on the show in a couple of years. So, Joseph, we got to get a little bit of an update of what you've been up to the last couple of years, because anybody who's followed you on social media or followed your work, you've had your hand in quite a number of things regarding the Ottawa Senators. So do you mind giving our listeners an update on what you've been up to since you've last appeared on the show? Yeah, sure. Um, So we had started a website slash podcast called the new era sense. It was uh, myself, uh, Nick from who's now with the future sickos, uh, shout out to him and to them. And um, sorry, shout out another podcast on your podcast. They're friends. <laughs> of a, They're all friends, right? We all know Derek, Brandon, and all, they're all our friends yep. um, and Naftali. And that it grew from there. And we just felt we could do a lot more. So we created the new era hockey network, which branched out to all the Canadian teams. I I've since uh, for, many different reasons I've parted ways with, with them and, and kind of handed the keys to uh, somebody else um, decided to start a new show. That was just a hockey general show, not just Ottawa senators. As much as I love my senators, I always find myself having a lot to say about many different topics, players and teams. And, and I just felt a little handcuffed talking about just our boys. Um, so there's a few things in the mix right now, you know, eyes to be dotted and T's to be crossed before the new show can jump off the ground. Uh, it is going to be called the weekly wraparound show. Uh, it's going to feature uh, pretty much updates and pretty much everything from, you know, the last week of hockey, uh, big news, trades, injuries, whatever. But then it's also going to feature different cool segments and fun stuff. So uh, again, I don't want to get too much into it just because there's a lot of work to do before we can get off the ground, but that's kind of been where I'm at. I, I was really focused on the new era sense and the new era hockey network for a long time. Uh, put in a lot of work with them. Uh, they're still doing pretty well. I think their website is no longer, I think they're just doing podcasts now. They're not doing articles and stuff anymore. The website's no longer there, but uh, yeah, that's kind of where I've been at. Parenthood has been, has been a lot of, been a lot of my life. Like, like I said earlier, we had last time we talked, my kid was probably like six, seven months old. He's going to be three in like three weeks. And he's just, he's crazy. (laughs) So that's kind of where my life's been since last time I've been, uh, I was on the show. Well, you've been talking about New Era Sends. I know like when the site first started up and I, you know, we obviously worked together, Derek and Brennan, I, we kind of knew each other through doing the podcast. 
And through the show, like we got to work with Jackson Schwamm, who did one of our episodes and he was fantastic. Obviously shout out to Jackson from Victoria. But one of the things I always really appreciated about New Ascends is that it's really, you really saw a collection of people from Sense Twitter that just banded together, started something, and it really took off the ground. And I mean, the guys that you guys had on your podcast, from Mark Mathot to Darcy Tucker, and you just look at these guys and you're like, how, first of all, how did you guys get Darcy Tucker? That's what I want to know. It was funny because when I, I'm not going to give up the secrets as how I got him, but I remember when I first started talking to him, and he's just like, a senator's podcast wants to hear from me. And I was just like, you got to hear from the least biggest shithead of all time. And he's just like, I should give you Ty Domi's numbers then. I was like, no, 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 no. I said, I want you. Right. But yeah, we, I, I think the way it worked for us is you get lucky once. And from there you use that luck as a credential. Right. And then you go on to the next guy, to the next guy. We had guys from like JBD, uh, Shane Pinto, uh, Boro. Like there was a lot of guys that came on the show and, and we got really lucky. We were very fortunate um i've kept my contact book so you can expect me to bring a lot of these guys onto the new show in the future 100%. well and even talking about like some of the guys you had on you talked about jbd you talked about shane pinto but martin Mathot's another guy that you guys had on and this is like pre wally and Mathot. he was just an ex-ottawa senator he hadn't gone into podcasting with the media yet so do you talk want to talk a little bit about how you got him on the podcast i literally just shot my shot on twitter i followed him on twitter and he tweeted once in a while and every time he tweeted, he would tweet some funny shit and just stuff that like you just, every center's fan can really like just jazz with and You're just like, that's awesome. Yeah. And I just, just like I said, shot my shot for shits and giggles. I said, Mark, come on the podcast. And then he's like, sure. I'll DM you. And he shot me a DM and he followed me. And then we talked back and forth for, for about a week or so. And then, uh, yeah, he told us some pretty cool stories that didn't make it onto the air stories that, can't make it onto the air because they're not they're, like there's stories he that we did say uh on the podcast where we said the pg-13 version and there was definitely like a rated r like red light district version of it behind scenes <laughs> <laughs> like like the party that he had when he found out he was being traded from columbus to ottawa the party was a lot more than <laughs> a lot more than he said Oh, I can only imagine. And I know even with the people that we've got a chance to work with, where, like, again, talking about William, I thought with Craig Mendaglia, we got to talk with Jamie McLennan, Ian Mendez. Some of the stories that we've got off the air from those guys, it's just like, that's amazing. Like, that really is cool. And that's the kind of stuff that you really love hearing, especially as a fan, right? Because when yeah. you, like, going back to Spit and Check Us, when you hear those stories, you think, that's amazing that in 2021, we're now hearing these stories, right? And now, mm-hmm. like, there's especially podcasts from New RSNs, Future Sickos, go down the list of all the sense podcasts where guys who played for the Senators are agreeing to do these podcasts now. And that's like, wow, like never in my in our wildest dreams would we ever have gotten a Mark Thought or a Ron Tognot or whoever to agree, right? I, I don't know if you guys heard the story that Tucker told uh, about the time he played with the Leafs on the show. So like he was, we asked him like, give us one story that no one really knows about, right? And he said, uh, he's like, Alfie took a cheap shot and hurt my shoulder. And we're like, oh, it wasn't a cheap shot. But anyways, the, the, we all know the, the hit he's talking about. He yep. goes, and he's like, I think after that, it was the year after that was a lockout. He goes, and then the year after that, I think we played Ottawa. He's like, I think it was like the third or fourth game into the season. He's like, and I took a run at Alfie. He's like, and I got a penalty, but I got a good run at Alfie. But I took a penalty. And then Ottawa scored and it ended up being the game-winning goal. He goes, after the game, he goes, um, 
one of the assistant coaches walks in and says, hey, Pat Quinn wants to talk to you. Go to his office. So he walks into the office, and Pat Quinn's got a stogie in his mouth and the whiskey, and he goes, how would you think that game went? Tucker was like, it could have been better. He goes, uh, somebody had heard Pat Quinn in his career, and he goes, I waited, I think he said, like 12 years to get revenge on this guy. He's like, you can wait one fucking game, and you cost us that game. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a Quinn story. I, I love Pat Quinn. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I remember watching that episode with Darcy Tucker. And again, I never liked Darcy Tucker growing up. I wasn't a Sense fan as a kid. Definitely in my teen years, I became a Sense fan. But yeah, Tucker was one of those guys where you're just like, he kind of had that Brad Marchant thing about him where he would take cheap shots. He was a very good player. And I think that's what really irritated a lot of people was that of how good of a player he was, you would see the cheap shots that he would take on Mike Packa or some of these players who were heads and tails better than he was as a player but you're just like why do you have to do stuff like that too right yep he also admitted he was scared shitless to chris neal <laughs> he's like i did not want to fight chris neal <laughs> well i mean most people are remember what he did to uh taylor pyatt sorry tanner glass tanner glass where the man played two minutes of hockey in the game just goes out just fucking crazy shit to tyler pyatt the guy career over I was going to say, what about the time <laughs> when he played Johnny Boychuk and Boychuk came around the boards and Neil just nailed him? I was going to say, Boychuk's still not the same today, man. <laughs> no, 100%, man. 100%. But, so, yeah, no. that's pretty much where the show's at. That's kind of where it was at. I've moved on since. Good luck to those guys. Um, not to go too negative, but, you know, some things happened there, which is why I'm no longer there and I'm doing my own thing again. Awesome. So, Joseph, as much as we can sit here all day and get a bit of an update of what you've been up to, it's time to segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. Okay. So, we got a couple of congratulations we had to give out to. First of all, we got to give a big congratulation to Edmonton Oilers captain Connor McDavid, who became the seventh player in franchise history to record 600 career points. McDavid, drafted first overall by Edmonton in 2015, had recorded 10 goals, 16 assists for 26 points, and 13 games for Edmonton at the time of the story. I mean, at what point, like, where do you really? say about Connor McDavid anymore right because you're just like you struggle to find words to talk about him because you're just like you see the talent you see the kind of player he is and you're just like wow well think about it if he continues at this pace which isn't unrealistic given last season he's gonna have a Gretzky season in the modern fucking NHL like just put that in your brain and think about it for a second I don't think he's gonna hit me or Gretzky numbers, I think Lemieux numbers, maybe. But, you know, I think because you look at how good the goalies are nowadays and you see how tighter defense they play. Hey, so he's almost got – he's on pace for a 200-point season. I get that, but you've got to realize is that back – He in, had a 100-point season in 50 games last year. <laughs> it's not out of the question. Joseph, do you see what I have to deal with every week now? <laughs> I, I agree with him, man. I really do. Do you guys do you guys know what 23 and me is? The 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 like the DNA testing? Yep. I'm gonna tweet them and I'm gonna tell them that I need a kit sent to Connor McDavid because <laughs> <laughs> 
is I swear that man has the blood of Jesus Christ running through him. And if that is the case, mm -hmm. the NHL should be kicking out McDavid because that's not fair. Yeah. But the thing about Connor McDavid is that I, I understand if he maintains this pace, then yes, he can hit those numbers. But again, he's like anybody else. He, he He's going to hit the lulls. He's going to hit those kind of numbers. But, you know, he probably is the closest thing Edmonton's ever had to a Gretzky since the 80s. If I'm being perfectly honest, there hasn't been another player that come along that's like him. Tay, are you are you sure you're not just salty that you had to settle for dry sidle in your hockey pool and not Connor McDavid? No, because I'm first overall in our hockey. <laughs> I'm sorry that my team had 10 injuries. <laughs> Honestly, like Connor McDavid, I mean, okay, first off, I would be happy to take Leon Dry Saddle right now in my pool. Okay, because I picked six in a snake draft and I got nothing good. Okay. Um, but the thing that economy did, could you imagine him with like really good wingers? Like picture him at the Olympics with, with the best, like that. I'm literally like disgusted by what he's going to do at the Olympics. Like no team's going to stand a chance, put him like with again, with any really good wingers and just see what happens. <laughs> like most well, his wingers now are terrible, but they're not star wingers, right? Like a star, like you want, you want star wingers to play with your star center. Well, imagine if he played in Colorado when he had what Ratnan and Landeskog on both sides. Disgusting. Well, right. imagine you just played McDavid, Drysidel, Hyman. Yeah. And then Nugent Hopkins, Yamamoto, Pulley That's disgusting. Yep. Like, holy shit. Yeah, Pulley has been a little, a little cold lately. And uh, Yamamoto hasn't really had the same touch last season and a half, right? Mm -hmm. So. Fair but enough. he's still he's got a lot of potential though. I'm in Edmonton, so I hear so much about that shit team. I hate the Oilers. I'm sorry, guys. I really do. I love McDavid, man. I love McDavid as a player. I I hate the Oilers, and I I never did until I moved here. The city made me hate them. <laughs> you guys My, funny, eh? When you move to a hockey crazy city like Edmonton, you either have one of two reactions: you either love their team or hate their team. It My wife is from like, St. Albert. She hates the well. She can't believe in the Oilers. <laughs> I see. I see. I see. A, I I saw a giant billboard with McDavid's face on it for three years every morning. Yeah, and it's just every morning you're just driving by and you're just giving that thing the middle finger and you're like, I hate you. <laughs> well, isn't that hilarious? Eh? When you talking about the billboard of McDavid in Edmonton, when I arrived at, when I went to Ottawa a few years ago, you never saw any advertisement for the senators at all anywhere in that city. Here you see a lot of go auto and, and McDavid uh, ads and whatever else he's got his finger. And you see that a lot. Right. But at the end of the night, it's smart marketing. You got Connor McDavid, the best player on the planet. Right. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. But even back in the day when we had Eric Carlson, you never saw any advertisement for him at all. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> excuse me just one story i want to talk about here joseph before we head on to our <coughs> excuse me our second story is that one of my buddies he's a big chicago fan but his dad's a diehard oilers fan and so when they signed zach hyman my buddy phoned me and he's talking to me and he goes yeah i heard from my dad he can't believe that we they got zach hyman his exact words were i can't believe we signed zach hyman with two busted fucking knees for seven million dollars <laughs> I, I actually thought it was a really good signing. Like, not the money. I just thought, literally, like, they've been looking for somebody that could play with McDavid for a while. And I, I was like, Hyman is the guy that can play with McDavid. So I, I thought it was going to be a good pairing. 
and he hasn't been bad by any means. He's been really good. 100%. So, again, if he stays healthy. Yeah. But it's funny, even like, again, talking about my buddy when he was talking about, because they'd signed Hyman and then they made the deal, did land Duncan Keith. And he's like, yeah, I can't believe you signed $7 million for that guy and then landed a beach bum in, as well. <laughs> I but I mean, Chicago. I don't understand. <laughs> no, what the hell happened to Duncan Keith between this season and last season? He's competent Age. on defense again. What the fuck happened? He just wanted to get out of the shit show Chicago had coming. Honestly, fair. <laughs> oh, yeah. And believe me, when we get into the top of the hour, we're definitely going to talk a little yeah. bit about shit show. But we got to move on to another marquee NHL franchise, the Pittsburgh Penguins, because Penguins captain Sidney Crosby passed Gilbert Perot for 34th on the all-time points list with 1,327. Crosby drafted first overall in, by Pittsburgh in 2005, sorry, had recorded one goal, one assist for two points in four games for Pittsburgh this season. When talking about Crosby, the one thing I always think of, and I bring it every time that Crosby makes top of the hour, he's kind of like Mario Lemieux. Imagine what his numbers would be had he not had COVID, missed almost a year of hockey, and just the overall injuries he's had in his career. It's crazy you even said that because I literally had this conversation, I think Thursday, last Thursday, and I said, you got McDavid, who's the best player in the world, and and the um, the ties with to Gretzky with the Oilers, right? And then you got Crosby, whose ties to Lemieux um, are the same thing, except it's just with all the injuries, it's insane. Like, it, I'm sorry, it really bothers me because I honestly think Lemieux could have been better than Gretzky. I honestly think so. And and had I had to choose one to have on like uh like my lifetime fantasy league, I would have chosen Lemieux because he was more hard nosed, he was a harder worker. Like it's you know, Gretzky, don't don't get me wrong, I will not take anything away from Gretzky. He is the greatest to ever play the game, and his stats say it, his records say it. But I think Lemieux could have been the best, just like I think Crosby could have been a lot better if he wasn't falling apart every season. Well, it's funny because I think Mark Madden, who is a reporter for the Penguins in Pittsburgh, he put it best when he talked about Gretzky and Lemieux, and he says Gretzky was more of a cerebral player. You saw him on the ice, but he would just put up points, and you didn't really notice him. Mary Lemieux was more of a, I've got the puck, here I come, and there's nothing you're going to do to stop me. Because Mary Lemieux was, what, 6'4", 6'5"? The guy was just an absolute beast on skates. And then you – how do you even stop Mario Lemieux? You can't put two or three guys on him because you, you look over, you have either Ron Francis, Yarmer Yager, Kevin Stevens on either side of them, right? So who do you really stop in that? I, I, I remember hearing Broder say once, he said the most terrifying thing on the planet is knowing Yager and Lemieux are on the ice at the same time. He's like, that was the scariest thing as a goalie. And I, he's like, and if that's me telling you, I guarantee you every other goalie thought the same thing. <laughs> 100%. Anaheim Ducks captain Ryan Getzloff became the 92nd player in NHL history to record 1,000 points. Getzloff, drafted 19th overall by Anaheim in 2003, had recorded one goal, 17 assists for 18 points in 17 games for Anaheim this season. So, Joseph, I want to talk to you a little bit about Ryan Getzloff because when we talked about Getzloff a few weeks ago on the show, the one player I brought up was Anze Kopitar. I think of Getzloff the same way I think of Kopitar, the guy who puts up great numbers, puts up great seasons with the team he plays for, but because of where he plays, he doesn't get the recognition he gets around the NHL. 
hundred percent. They're both really good, strong centers. They're both really good uh, at what they do. They're masters of what they do. And it's just like when Carlson, like it's like when Carlson played for Ottawa, right? He always got recognition by media and stuff, but other fans never gave him the recognition because he played for Ottawa. So I think it's kind of the same thing. He just, those guys don't get the recognition because they play in California. Right. And, and although California has been a really good hockey state the last few years, again, like you said, I just don't think they get the recognition because they're in California, but Getzlaff is people got to can't, can't forget. He's a Stanley cup champion. He's having a really good season. I mean, he hasn't put up many goals, but like you said, what is it? 17 assists. Like that's really good. Like he's having a really good season. Um, you know, an Olympian, uh, world juniors, uh, like the guy's done it all. He's got nothing left to prove, but he's still playing the game and he's doing it really well. I would love to have Getzlaff on the Ottawa Senators. Uh, he doesn't fit kind of what we're doing right now in Ottawa, mm-hmm. but I would love to have Getzlaff in Ottawa. Like that guy is a beast. Well, especially because he reminds me, especially what he plays, he reminds me a lot of a Jason Spezza where he was definitely a playmaker. He guy had guys on both sides of him that could put up points, whether it be Bobby Ryan or a Corey Perry and Corey Perry. A lot of people tend to forget he scored 50 goals in the NHL. If you ask any hockey fan, did Corey Perry score 50 goals? They could have never told you that. That says a lot, especially because here on the West coast, and I've said this again and again, teams on the and players on the West coast, Unless you're a Connor McDavid or you've won Stanley Cups, the East Coast media does not care. They do not pay attention to you. 100%. One thing I liked about Getzlaff, and I know it's not the same position, but like Ginlo was a centerman, but I find their style of their mentality, sorry, in the game is the same. Like Iggy will drop the gloves way more, but I just felt like they're both really hard nosed players who grind they're they're still part of that old school uh, game right uh but they still have the skills uh that you need for the new school and that's one thing i've always liked about gets is he brought he was like that the middle of both classes old school new school and you had all the skills of both sides well and i think it really goes to show the draft class that Brian Murray really put in Anaheim 2003 because not only did he land get but he landed Corey Perry Corey Perry in the first round of 2003. Oh, Brian Murray was a genius. Uh, and I, I honestly, I, people have been talking about it and hopefully it happens. He gets put in the hockey hall of fame, but conversation for another day. Yep. Perry. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Perry and Getzlaff together was brilliant. Was one of the scariest one, two punches in the NHL for years. Hmm. And when they won the Stanley Cup, those guys were pain in the asses against Ottawa. They were pain in the fucking asses. Uh, I hated the, playing against them, but I loved. Like I always traded for both of them in my NHL games. I would trade. I, I'd go to Anaheim and trade for them. <laughs> <laughs> so good, so good. But it's funny, even like when talking about Getzlaff and Perry in Anaheim, you definitely think of like a Curry and Solani, but more of a physical presence that they brought as well. Yeah, they were. Yeah. The Canadian versus the European style of game was way more. They were more gentle as opposed to the Canadians who were like, "We're gonna bash you. Like we're not. We're not afraid to go." Although you had guys like Peter Forsberg, who honestly could play both styles. Right? He came in the NHL, threw on the body around, and could score forty plus goals if he needed to. 
Oh, 100 percent. And it, sorry, I didn't mean to generalize all Europeans. I just oh, meant those specific two versus the two that we're talking about. Yeah. And when I think of Perry, I just think of like the prankster, right? Like the shithead of the team. Uh, like it's yeah. Like I don't. I remember when I was talking to Bobby Ryan, he was like telling the story. Uh, I can't remember the full story, but how like Corey Perry had to like lost a bet and he had to. Sorry, he had to. I'm so French. Pay a compliment to Boudreaux. And he's like, if you know Boudreaux, it's impossible to compliment the guy with. So he said something positive, something really good to Boudreaux. And Boudreaux just looked at him like, what what the fuck are you talking about? Get off the ice. (laughs) (laughs) Perry was like the funniest and the goofiest guy from my understanding. So I would have loved to like, I'd love to be Perry. He's one of the guys in the NHL today that I would love to like sit down and have a beer with. He's definitely the new Marion Hosa of, you know, the last two Stanley Cup finals, he's played on the losing side. If he goes three for three this year, boy, I'll tell you. I, yeah. I don't know. Like, Marion Hosa, that meme will be gone. It will be forever be the Corey Perry meme. Yeah, but I don't think – Tampa's not built for the three-peat in first place, right? I, I don't think they're, so. They're just not. So, Corey Perry going there, hopefully he wasn't expecting to win a Stanley Cup because – there's too much that's happened to that team that they're just, it's just, it's not going to three-peat. I mean, we'll, unless it's Vasilevsky's Conn Smythe. <laughs> I was just going to say, unless, unless Vassy stands on his head and unless like, you know, Cooch comes back and, you know, has like, I don't know, 2.0 like points per game. Like we'll see. I don't know. So guys, we got to talk about something very serious here. In the last couple of weeks, obviously the Chicago Blackhawks and what's been going on with them has dominated the hockey news media. The lawyers for Kyle Beach have asked for Gary Bettman to step in and mitigate the settlement talks between Beach and the Chicago Blackhawks. TSN's Rick Westhead reported that the reason for this is because the lawyers feel that the Blackhawks are stalling. So this is definitely a story. And when we had Trevor Shackles on one of the things that he talked about is that he definitely talked about Rick Westhead and his reporting. And I think he does a great job. When you talk about the Joe Murphy story he did and now some of the stories he's covered for TSN, this is really a story. And it's funny because, you know, when talking about the Blackhawks, I don't know how you guys feel, but as a Senators fan, I was kind of on board for their three Stanley Cups just because you saw ex-Senators winning it, whether it be Marion Hosa, Ray Emery, Antoine Vermette. You see guys like this winning the Stanley Cup, but now that 2010 win is so tarnished that you just look at it and you're like, how can I even really feel good about that, right? So I was messaging Rod Peterson. One of the things I, I said to him was, People are talking about stripping the Stanley Cup from them that year and a whole bunch of other stuff. And I said, even the shittiest person on the planet can be a really good athlete. So I, they still earned their cup. They still played well. They still won. And they did that because they're athletes. And they were the best athletes in the league that year. So it's hard to look at that cup and be like, ah, as a Chicago fan, which I'm not, but as a Chicago fan, can you really look at that year and be like, yeah, it was a really happy year. Like, can you still do that? Like, can you, I don't know. Uh, I, I have friends who are Chicago fans. And a lot of the guys are just like, yep. same thing I said is you can't take away the achievement from the team because they, they earn the achievement, but at the same time, you can't look at that cup anymore and be like, that was a really happy year. <laughs> it was. And it's funny when we talk about the, 
initial story, we talked about how you see a franchise in six years, they went from being voted the worst franchise in sports to winning a Stanley Cup. They didn't even have a broadcasting contract. Like you couldn't watch a Chicago Blackhawks game in Chicago. No, because if if anybody out here is a Chicago fan, can you correct me if I'm wrong? They have that thing called Hawk Vision, which is basically like a pay-per-view. You had to pay for each game, but it was like what 30 bucks a game or something. It was absolutely ridiculous. The reason why is because they really wanted to sell season tickets. And I read people's comments on Twitter saying, like, yeah, I remember paying 10 bucks to see the 300s when like the early to mid 2000s when this team was a bottom feeder. Oh, exactly. And they went, like you said, from zero to hero really quick. And that's thanks to, uh, you know, guys like Kane and guys like Taze and, you know, Brent Seabrook and all the other guys, like, you know, all the OGs that are still there and all the OGs have come and gone still. But again, it's to me, sorry, for me to look at Kane right now is not, I can't look at Kane the same as a person coming into the league. He came in on a really bad note. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember his allegations when he first came in the league, uh, punching a cab driver. And then there was some more allegations that came out of Buffalo and just, uh, and then now there's, well, he knew about this all along, didn't say anything. Hmm. There's no room for people like that. I don't care if you're Connor McDavid, if you're a shitty person like that, there should be no room in the league for that. And Kane was always one of my favorite shooters. Like I've always liked that Kane as one of my favorite players. And now I just can't do it anymore. Again, he's earned everything he has. Being the pro athlete he is, but as as a person, if someone was just like joining me, Patrick Kane, if I did, I'd probably just be like, "You're a shitty human being, man." And I think at least one thing about that Stanley Cup is uh, the X's over uh, the video coach's name. It's just going to remind everyone what happened. Well, and it's funny because your nanny tree did a video recently about hockey has a culture problem, and really he goes into detail about the fact that. These guys, they, they're forced to play hurt because if they don't play hurt, then there's another guy behind them that will take their spot. And it's not like they, you know, the average NHL or average hockey player has a union. Unless you're like the top guys, you're basically firewood at that point. You can be cut tomorrow and the league would not care. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Like if you're, if you're looking at Ottawa, for example, if you're a guy like, I don't know, Holden, and you're injured and they tell you to play through, you're playing through because if not, they call up the next guy. Or Austin Watson. Yeah, there you go. But I think Austin Watson, I think he's he's kind of a bit of a favorite over there. I think for him, I think he, he was able to heal properly. I think mm-hmm. just, you know, but you're absolutely right. I think you're, unless you're a superstar in this league, you kind of have to play through all the injuries. Like, like Robin Leonard has been a huge advocate for, um, talking about it, how like how many times has he seen it or has he personally been through it where this hurts and it's okay well here's some drugs for it I don't know what I'm taking but the pain's gone now go play right and it's created addiction issues it's created a lot of mental health issues um, and I think like I have, I have a personal little thing with with Leonard like as to why I don't I'm not a big fan of his but as a human being I think that guy is amazing he's an amazing person he's an amazing advocate for for mental health uh what he's been through is is insane and to become such a good goalie still like this guy is his story is one of the best stories in the nhl and i love it but again robin leonard's talking about this stuff but nobody else is 
Yeah. Why? Well, why? Why is? Why has he gone silent again? Exactly. Well, even go back to Rick Westhead. Like I don't know if you watched that report he did on the guys like Ryan Kessler and the trainer from San Diego Gulls when it came to painkillers. And now Ryan Getzlaff is now living with what Crohn's disease or whatever he's living with post career because of the drugs that they were pumping into him just to get him on the ice. Oh yeah, there's a lot of guys out there like. Again, there's there's the guys who have passed away, you know, guys who have taken their own lives. Um, it's, there's just so much dark into the NHL. It's insane. And like you said, it does have a culture, a culture problem. And as, as bad as it is, like you don't want to hear these stories because you don't want to believe it happens. But the good thing about these stories is it really shows the dark side of the NHL. And you really kind of hope that like, hey, listen, this happened. It's out in the open a lot has to change now because now people know about this stuff. It can't be happening anymore. Well, look at the enforcers desk from 10 years ago, right? Where the NHL basically said, Oh, CTE is not a problem. And now they're recognizing that it's not just enforcers because you had the guy trying to remember, I think uh, Rene Robert or one of the guys from the French connection in Buffalo, where after he passed away, they found out that he had CTE and he wasn't even an enforcer. He was a Mm. scorer. Well, that's exactly it, right? Because it's not just the enforcers that take hits to the head. Everybody takes hits to the head. Yep. Like, I mean, think of Sidney Crosby. Like, if, if he was to die tomorrow and you looked at his brain, like, what would that look like, right? Especially if all the head injuries he's had, especially 10 years ago, regardless of who you are in the NHL, you're going to take those hits and you're going to suffer those injuries, regardless of what your name is. 100%. Look, man, like, look at Crosby, for example. Like, that guy, that guy's taken a lot of concussion. Uh, sorry, he's missed a lot of times due to concussions, mm-hmm. right? Um, people go after the stars. Like, it's that old conversation is, uh, are we always going to need tough guys to throw gloves on? Yes, you're always going to need a tough guy to throw gloves because there's always going to be that goon who's going to go after your, your, your best player. He's going to take a shot at his head, right? And, again, it's, it's one of those things – Connor McDavid might be one of those guys who ends up having serious issues in the future because he's one of the best players in the league. Guys are constantly trying to take jabs at him any way they can. And he might be one of those guys that takes, you know, a couple shots to the head in his career and ends up, you know, screwing with him later on in life. Again, like you said, it's not just the guys who throw gloves. It's everyone and anyone. So moving on to our next story, guys, the Prime Police have acquired for Kyle Clifford from the St. Louis Blues for future considerations. Clifford recorded four goals, three assists for seven points in 50 games for St. Louis last season. Now, I do want to add that this is Kyle Clifford's second tenure with the Leafs. So I don't know how deep you guys want to go into this, because honestly, when you hear future considerations, it could be something. It could be nothing at this point. So basically, the Leafs have just acquired a player for maybe nothing at this point. It could be interesting that he didn't have a space on St. Louis. And the considerations could be a seventh round and if you guys make the playoffs, we'll make it a fifth, right? Like yeah. something like that. But yeah, I remember his first in, uh, in Toronto. He, he's a good player. Like he's a good depth player and like he'll go to Toronto. He'll do his job. And, but I don't think, yeah, I don't think much of the guy he's um, how long has he been in LA? Like he was in LA now for. Oh, number of years. Anyway. Yeah. I can't remember. Really I can't remember how- so he's got to be maybe six, seven years in LA. Cause I, Clearly, if I'm wrong, didn't he win a cup in LA or two? There? He won two. 
Yeah, he was on two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he he was there for both their cups. But I'm trying to remember like how many games he played for Toronto. Like it wasn't much. I think it was and I, was, I Tim could probably look this up for us. Well, basically, Kyle Clifford was on that Toronto team. He got traded to Toronto before the COVID cut. Yeah, I think it was like a month. He played for Toronto for like a month. Like not even a month, and then they got knocked out by Columbus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah, he played for LA from 2010 to 2019-20, got traded to Toronto, went to St. Louis, and now he's back in Toronto. I mean, he's a big guy. He's going to be physical, which is something Toronto really needs because they're a bunch of pussies. They're Leafs. Um, <laughs> so th- I think that's pretty much all he's going to do. He's going to go there, and he's going to he's gonna do what Wayne Simmons does. He's going to try and score goals, but he's going to be there to protect guys. So we're going to talk about a couple of retirements. Former Chicago Blackhawks forward Troy Brower announced his retirement at the age of 36. Brower, drafted 214th overall by Chicago in 2004, recorded 118 goal, or sorry, 182 goals, 181 assists for 363 points in 851 games with five NHL teams: the Chicago Blackhawks, Washington Capitals, St. Louis Blues, Calgary Flames, and Florida Panthers winning the Stanley Cup with Chicago in 2010 and representing Canada at the 2014 World Hockey Championships. Definitely when talking about the Blackhawks' bottom six, especially in 2010 when you had your Adam Bushes, your Troy Browers, guys like this who were mucking it up. Troy Brower definitely was a guy that comes to mind. And I remember him when he went to Calgary and the amount of hate he got from Flames fans because – they were expecting him to maybe turn the clock back six years to play like he did in 2010. And that didn't happen, but you know, good on him, man. Like, you know, he won a cup. He represented Canada. What more can you really say for him? Yeah. And I remember in Calgary, he had, like his first season was pretty good. He still had like, I think it was like 25, 30 points. His second season wasn't as good, but I mean, I think if I'm not wrong, he was in his early thirties at that point or something. And it's just, Nowadays, the early 30s in the NHL is is old. Yeah, right. Job. And 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 then you're playing on a Calgary team that had you know Monahan, Goudreau. Like you had a lot of these young guys that were really good. And and you know, I mean, what what more do you really want the guy to do? I've always liked I've always liked bro. I've always liked uh, Troy Bauer. He um, even in Washington, I think he played really well in Washington. I really liked him in Washington. Um, I don't to be honest with you. I know he played for Chicago for a long time. I just can't picture him in a Blackhawks jersey. I just can't. Yeah. Well, it's just funny because that's the team I definitely recognize him as, but I also remember him in Washington and in Calgary. I don't remember him in Florida or St. Louis, but he, you know, he for played so who, little in St. Louis. He did for yeah. a guy who was drafted in the two hundreds though. That's, that's pretty impressive. The fact that oh, he, yeah. he got that far. Right. So, Oh yeah. So now we're going to close out top of the hour. We're talking about an Ottawa Senator story. Former NHLer Dion Phaneuf announced his retirement at the age of 36. Phaneuf drafted ninth overall by the Calgary Flames in 2003, recorded 137 goals, 357 assists for 494 points in 1,048 games with four NHL teams, the Calgary Flames, Toronto Maple Leafs, Ottawa Senators, and Los Angeles Kings while being named to three All-Star games and winning gold at the 2005 and 2007 World Juniors and 2004 World Juniors where he won a silver medal. Sorry, correction there. He won gold at the 2007 World Championships, not the World Juniors. So Dion Phaneuf, (laughs) as a Senators fan, first thing that comes to mind, 
three words for nothing CC. Yeah. I can say it, but that's what automatically comes up. But I think of the hate he got in Toronto because there was a lot of excitement when he got traded from Calgary to Toronto. He was going to turn this franchise around because they just acquired Phil Kessel. They named him the captain. And it just seemed like the amount of hate he got with the Leafs, I don't think really was his fault because the team around him and Phil, to be perfectly honest, was just so poor that you're like, how could two guys really carry a team like this? When you talk about guys who have eaten a lot of shit as an NHL player, you got to talk about Phaneuf. That guy's probably one of the guys who's eaten the most shit. I don't know why he should have been. He should have stayed in Calgary because in Calgary, that guy was a star. That guy was loved. He went to Toronto, which is a city that chews and spits out players. Uh, the media there is insane, and that's probably why. But like you said, he didn't have a very good cast uh, of players to really, you know, be a really good team. Yep. Like we joke, but how, again, they've never made it out of the first round. How many years have they missed the playoffs? Cause they sucked. Um, I mean, he, it's like you said, Phaneuf and CC. It's just, you think of like a, of a pylon and, and then just an idiot who can't play hockey. Like I feel bad for Phaneuf, but like we said earlier, he had a really big part in Ottawa's cup run, um, I think in mentoring some of the young guys at the time, I got respect for the guy. Um, I think he should have retired before going to LA. He should have just hung it up there after leaving Ottawa. Yeah, because if you look at his stats in LA, I think he played one season there. He was a minus 21. Like that's really the worst stats of his career. But when talking about his first years in Calgary you're really looking at a defenseman that you really thought was going to be game-changing because you saw a guy that came in the NHL so much piss and vinegar scores 20 goals as a defenseman mind you he comes into an organization where you're really looking for a spark outside of Jerome Gimla and Dion definitely was a big part of the Flames in the first couple of years he was there he was big body could play physical play offensive skill he put up great numbers but over the next couple of years, you saw him slowly decline and decline, decline. And Toronto thought that they were going to get the guy who came in the league with the 20 goals, going to change things around. And well, yeah, he definitely brought a lot of leadership. He definitely was a player whose play definitely was on the downturn, where it is more solidifying what kind of a player he was. Was he going to be a guy who puts up 20 goals or was he going to be a guy who was going to give you 35, 40, 45 points a season, right? I think in his first four years with Calgary, he averaged like over like 50 points a season. Yep. He had a 60-point season. Now, if you told somebody who's a, a newer hockey fan, like someone who started watching hockey over the last decade, and you tell them, you know, Dion Phaneuf, you know, used to be a 60-point defenseman, they'd probably laugh you out, out of the door. But it's true. Like, he was really good in Calgary. Even in Toronto, like he had a couple of hard seasons, but like he saw seasons where like 30, 40, 40, what is it, 45, 28, 31, you know, like he still had decent, like he's he's a defenseman. Like, you know, you don't expect him to be a point per game player. Like he wasn't hired to be a point per game player. He's there to be a leader, to physically crush people, to protect people, and to pitch in with points when he can. So I think he did his job in Toronto. It's just like you said, he, had, they had, he played on a really shitty team. Like, what more do you want, want him to do? Yeah. And he was a defensive liability, you know, 
after he left Calgary, I found he became more of a defensive liability in Toronto. I think a lot of the system that he learned there made him to a defensive liability, and it's something he took with him for the rest of his career. Yeah, and it's funny because as much as he was loved in Calgary, after the trade, that love turned to hatred. So uh, the first game that I went to in Calgary, uh, literally every time Dion Phaneuf touched the ice, the crowd would start just chanting, Dion Dion, just to get under his skin the whole time. You do not get that sort of treatment if you left in a good way. Or you're out of Fox. Or you're out of Fox, yeah. <laughs> well, totally, totally off off the topic, but just because of the whole Dion chant. Do you guys remember the time when Ray Emery went through like Emery and yep. he was just like raising his hands, like, come on, guys, keep going. That's another side. I just wanted to go back to the razor thing. That was I love that. Yeah. antagonize the enemy so good so good so guys that wraps up top of the hour which would for most episodes mean so i start talking about some games now unfortunately because of COVID postponing games we are going to take a quick break here in the third line public syscast and we will return because we have got some ottawa senator stories we need to talk about coming right back hey everybody this is jackson schwann from new era sense and you're listening to the third line plug sensecast all right we are back so guys that was a great first half of the episode and now it's time to turn our attention to the ottawa senators now like i said due to covid the ottawa senators had to postpone three games this week but that doesn't mean we can talk about some ottawa senators stories so we've got a couple of stories we need to talk about now number one right out of the gate the hockey hall of fame induction happened this past week and a number of players got in Jerome McGinley got in, but for Ottawa senators fans, the induction of Marion Hosa, that was definitely the big one for a lot of fans, because that's the one where you saw that and you go, absolutely. He's definitely going to get in. But one comment you made actually, Joseph, when you and I were talking about this while back was that you felt that this really wasn't as big of a victory for the senators as a lot of fans should think. Why is that? So Hosa spent a lot of time in Ottawa and he started his career in Ottawa and all that other fun stuff. But when you look at all the milestones in Hosa's career, they were not in Ottawa. I love Marion Hosa as a player. The guy has done a lot for the league itself, but again, I think Chicago is where he spent most of his time. I think it's where he was happiest. Uh, he got to play with you know, some of the best players in the world while he was there, while continuing to be one of the best players in the world. Now, I think Ottawa earned some of the you know kudos to, to that, but I think he really developed more after he left. Yeah. Um, like I said, he was spectacular in Ottawa, but it's just, and I know he's played a lot longer than Chara, but a lot of people who are like, well, Chara should come retire as the Ottawa center. People got to forget that like Chara wasn't, like Ottawa to... Tachara wasn't a huge part of his life. Just no. like, I just don't think Hosa, like he spent more time in Ottawa than Chara did, but I still, when he looks at back at his career, he probably goes, Ottawa was awesome. But everything after that is where everything is where everything really started for me. Right. hundred percent. And, you know, especially when you look at either from how, what he did in his career, but also from individual point wise, where the couple of years he played in Atlanta, a lot of people tend to forget he put up, 92 and 100 point seasons in Atlanta. How many people would really think of that, right? So he put up his best numbers offensively in Atlanta, goes to Chicago, puts up his best careers where he won three Stanley Cups. He was a big part of those teams. 
But for us being Ottawa fans, it's so refreshing to see a guy who was scouted, drafted, and developed by the Ottawa Senators finally going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's not the guy that we all want to see right now. But at the end of the day, it's like you said, he drafted by Ottawa, developed by Ottawa. Uh, he still spent, was it like seven seasons with Ottawa? I think it was like six and a half, seven seasons with Ottawa. And he didn't have the numbers in Ottawa that he did after, like you said, when he went to Atlanta, where he had like 100 points and 92 points. And and then I think between he split a season between Atlanta and Pittsburgh, which was like 60 points, I think it was. But like he always had really good numbers. In Chicago, he didn't have like the 100 point seasons and 92 point seasons, but he always had consistent seasons. And a lot of the stuff he did without the puck was very important as well. Uh, he was huge to Chicago's success. Well, he's also huge to where you see hockey in Slovakia really came, especially for a country that produced Sedanio Char, Zygmunt Palfi. But when you think of hockey in Slovakia, Marin Hosa will first and foremost be the player that everybody thinks of. Always, 100%. Yeah. Well, and I can't fail to mention that Marin Hosa was my very first favorite Ottawa senator. And I'm just looking at the two Hosa figures I have here on the wall, which is amazing. Now, sticking with the Hockey Hall of Fame, of course, with the induction of this past week, the one big sticking point for Senators fans, and Tim and I have talked about this on the show, (laughs) was the induction of Kevin Lowe. Kevin Lowe is a guy who, if there was ever a player in the last couple of years, I think was so undeserving of the Hall of Fame, it was him. And I know a lot of people would look at Guy Carbono from 2019 and be like, oh, okay, well, he doesn't deserve it. Well, over the time and over the past couple of years, I've kind of warmed to the idea. I'm like, okay, I kind of get, I kind of see where, because he was a captain of the Habs, he won a couple of Selkies. He won a cup in Montreal. I kind of get where a lot of people say Guy Carbono should be in the Hall of Fame. But when a guy like Daniel Alfredson gets snubbed, for guys like Guy Carbono, for especially guys like Kevin Lowe, that's especially Kevin Lowe, that's where my blood boiled at the idea that... But you got to look at Kevin Lowe. He's got, he's got support from guys like vocal support. From guys like Gretzky, Curry, stuff like that, right? So it's also a matter of of what you got to pound it into somebody's head, right? And and Ian Mendez was going through this this week. Okay, so now we got to be vocal. We got to find somebody that's going to pound it through everybody's head that Alfie deserves it. What also happens with Lowe, man. You have people that are like, oh yeah, Kevin Lowe is a hockey hall of famer. He totally deserves it. You know, Gretzky said it, Curry said it, a whole bunch of the alumni there have said it. Yep. You know, and and. and these are guys that have a lot of influence, right? When they speak, people listen. Same with uh, a lot of people in the Oilers organization, period. When they speak, a lot of people listen because the Oilers are, are one, they're a really good team now, but the, their history also is, is, is big in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And when, when they talk, people listen. I think it's just a matter of that's what happened with, with Lowe was he doesn't deserve it, but big names said he did. Yeah, and it's funny because <laughs> in that – class alone you had guys outside of kevin Lowe. you had guys like doug wilson who had been a guy who had not even been seriously considered for the hall of fame for i i couldn't even tell you off the top of my head what year he retired i think it was in the early to mid 90s 
But why is it that a guy like Doug Wilson after all these years, because especially the era he played where he had a Ray Bork, you had Paul Coffey, you had guys offensively who were so much dominant than he was get in. But a guy like Kevin Lowe, because when you think of the 80s Oilers, who do you really think of? When you think of Gretzky, you think of Curry, you think of Messier, Pierre, Anderson, you think of the guys up front, you don't think of the guys on the back end. And that's where I think Senators fans are so beyond pissed at this point that Alfredson got snubbed again. Because, again, there's always been this perceived Toronto bias. I believe there seriously is. If I'm being perfectly honest, I believe there's a Toronto bias that's keeping Alfredson out. Because if Alfredson had played in Montreal or he played in Toronto or he played in any other team, the fans would have been kissing the ground that Alfredson walked on. For a guy who went in the sixth round, recorded a thousand points, won a gold medal, won rookie of the year. You think of everything that he's ever meant to the Ottawa Senators. Why is that not enough for him to get in? Also got all the off-ice stuff he did for the community. Yeah. He he probably did just as much out off the ice as he did on the ice, right? It's insane. And had he done it for Toronto or like you said, a bigger market, that would have been like well, Simon just is on ice. Look at what we did off the ice. That's what it, everybody would be saying right now, right? Yeah. It'd be like Alfie was the guy all around. And I don't know about the Toronto bias thing. I think, like, so the people who vote, there's a lot of people there that have connections to Ottawa. There's a lot of connections on the committee. It's hard for me to like look at it and be like, yeah, Toronto bias or not Toronto bias. But like, when you look at the committee that votes. I like the committee, like Brian Burke, for example. Like Brian Burke, I think is a straight shooter, as straight as it gets. He, I, he's one of those guys where I don't care if he likes you or he hates you. If you earned it, he'll tell you you earned it. And I think there's a lot of guys on the committee that think the same way that Burke does. So, the Toronto bias thing, I don't know if I can buy into that, but at the same time, it would not surprise me. But like you said, it's a lot about exposure. So I think I think Ian Mendez right now, I think he's made it his goal to like get the exposure for Alfie because he's he's earned that hockey hall of fame, man. Like it's insane. Like you said, it's not even just what he's done for Ottawa, it's what he's done for Sweden, it's what he's done for community, um, individual statistics, um, team statistics, uh, you know, national statistics. It's insane. Like it's if the Sedins get in before him. Yep. I am going to, I'm going to blow a fuse. Let's just put it that way. Well, here's, you know, I, I actually want to talk about the Sedins here for a second because I could understand now being born in West on the West Coast, I can kind of understand where people would say Daniel and Henrik Sedin should go in first year because you think of it, they both won a scoring title, they both were league MVP, they both win the Stanley Cup finals. But the thing is, is you've got to look at where they were drafted because. Again, they were drafted second and third overall. This was kind of expected. Matt Sundin was kind of the same way. First overall, puts up a thousand points, five hundred goals. I think I think he scored five hundred goals. But again, the big sticking point, and I can look at this from both sides of the coin. Alfredson, I think he should be in. I can understand people who may not feel the same way because if you look at his offensive numbers, his offensive numbers don't exactly pop 
They don't exactly stick out. They're not like Matt Sundin, who's a consistent 80-point guy. Alfredson was more of a 60, 65, 70-point guy, which is really good, and I'm not taking anything away from Alfredson. But the thing is, is that you've got to look at Daniel Alfredson, who was a sixth-round draft pick. The guy had to kick, claw, and scratch his way into the NHL. You look at how far he had to come, how much he had to achieve to get to this point. And he's not in the Hall of Fame. Sixth round, and he won the Caldler. The, yeah. like, rookie of the year coming out of the sixth round. But the reason why it would bug me is look at the surrounding cast that Matt Sundin had and <clears throat> excuse me, and the Sedin brothers had through the first half of their career compared to Ottawa. Alfredson came onto a team that was fresh off an expansion. Um, not very good. They, he didn't get real line mates that he can really play with. Till the mid, I think it was like 2000. The cash line. Hmm. I was going to say, Spezza, yeah, this, the, the money line is kind of where he really had first, like his first yep. taste of line mates that can really go at it with him. So he spent, what is it, nine years, almost 10 years, 10 years without any stars next to him. Yeah. You know, well, as opposed, as, look at Toronto. Toronto's always had good teams. Um, even though they bombed, like look at them now, they're bombing, but they still yep. have a really good team, right? Yeah. But instead of this, same with the, the twins. The twins had, uh, you know, back then, who do they have? Um, well, you had Perros in his prime. Yeah. Like it's, again, it's also a matter of the surrounding cast, right? Yeah. Through, you got to look at the careers, who the surrounding cast is with as well. But here's the thing, and I actually want to talk a little bit positive about Sundin here for a moment is that when you look at his tenure in Toronto, Outside of an Alexander McGillney, another Hockey Hall of Fame snub, who did Matt Sundin really have who was even remotely considered a peer on his way? Name one guy that wasn't Alexander McGillney. Fair. No, that's fair. Yeah, and that's where I think a lot of Leaf fans will argue for Sundin is that, while outside of Alexander McGillney, he didn't have that Alfredson who – I don't really agree with the comment that he didn't really have any linemates because he played with Alexei Yashin for a number of years. But the thing is, is that two of those first, what, five years Alfredson was in Ottawa, Yashin mm-hmm. wasn't there. Yashin was a holdout. I was going to say, he didn't play with Yashin that long. No, three seasons, I think. And 97, Alfredson and Yashin were rarely on the same line. I was about to say, I don't even think they played on the same line very much. Yeah, but that's the closest he had to a number one centerman, though, in Ottawa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's kind of the point is Alfredson was such a robust player that uh, Jacques Martin played Alfredson up and down the lineup to get more out of the other lines because he knew he could. And that's the point. Alfredson, until the cash line, rarely played with the top centers. And then even after the cash line, you would see Alfredson play second line. Like, I don't think he actually played that much with Turs. He played more often with Zibanejad, if I'm not crazy. No, I think Alfie was a first-line center the entire way. If I'm not mistaken. Alfie? Yeah, I think he uh, was. Wasn't he? He was left wing, man. Left wing. No, he was a number one center. Or not, sorry, number one winger the whole way. Yeah, he was. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, he would often play and, with uh, and, Zibanejad. Which and weird. just because I had to pull it up, just because I had to. So... Yep. Uh, Sundin did have guys like uh, Wendell Clark he could play with. Uh, Ty Domi, who, again, he wasn't – Ty Domi wasn't exactly a, a marksman, but he did pretty good. 
Um, who else did he have that? You know, he had guys like uh, duh, 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 duh. Uh, Kirk Muller, Wendell Clark, Doug Gilmore. Yeah, but those, uh, like Dougie Gilmore was more. Was, a center, was no. yeah, he was mostly he was a centerman for sure. But like he still had some really good players that played with him throughout like most of his career in Toronto. Yeah. I mean, the early years in Toronto wasn't great, but then when you start to look at like. 2001 for example like 2000 2001 you know he had like yannick perot who was really good uh back in those days gary roberts came in he was really good uh, yeah cabriolet was really good uh steve thomas was good you know he had some really good hard-ass defensemen like mccabe um who else let me see i'm just going through the roster that year Wade Belak, man, Wade Belak's another guy we got to talk about one day i love i love wade Belak. sadly uh but yeah, and then that goalie's like like the cat. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, <laughs> like they had a they had a good team. Yeah, they, no, going time. back to the Alfred tip point about playing down the lineup here. I'm gonna read you his most common line mates in 2010, 2011. Yep, Fisher and Felinio. In 2012, his Fisher most com- 2011, 2012, his most common line mates are Felinio and Turris. The top line that year was Spets and McCulloch Greening. They played out. Al- Alfie is a guy that they would play up and down the lineup to get the most out of different lines. God, Greening. Good Lord. Hey, that was the season Greening was good. Outside yeah. of that one old eagle. But yeah. now one final comment I want to make, Joseph, before we head off into our next point. Talking about Matt Sundin, if you look at his 92-93 season in Quebec, Single-handedly, you look at that alone and you're thinking, holy crap, I can't believe Matt Sundin put those numbers up, but not in Toronto. Because I think he put up, what, 100? You can look it up if you want. I think it's like 112, 113 points, and I think he played with a guy like Sackick and Nolan Nolan in Quebec. Yeah, I think it was like 100, yeah, it was 110 points, 111. Easy, yeah. Yeah, it's not like that. Yeah, and I mean, he. I'm not saying Matt Sundin wasn't really good i'm not even saying he wasn't the better of the two by any means like i have nothing like i hated him as the least captain naturally growing up because of the rivalry but as, as a hockey player i had nothing but respect for the guy he's really good yeah and and the funny thing is and i feel the same way but the thing is that matt sandine if you really look back on his time in toronto can you name ever a time he ever said anything bad about a teammate about the team about anything the Leafs ever did. A guy who was the vocal point of that franchise for 13 seasons. No, he was a good leader. He never did. Yeah. Never did. Exactly. So, again, earlier in this episode, we talked about how the Senators' games this past week got postponed due to COVID. Unfortunately, we do need to talk about the Sens' COVID rate because according to an article of the Wall Street Journal – 100% of the team is vaccinated, but 40% of the team tested positive. Now, there's been a lot of talk on social media about where and how exactly this happened. A lot of people point at the picture. I'm sure we all saw it. I think it was Norris, Patterson, and Stutzel in Chicago, which was a great picture. And Tim Stutzel, by the way, was he 19? He looks so hammered in that picture, but that's not (laughs) the point. But you can look at some of their road trip, especially they played in Dallas, they played in Chicago, big hot spots for COVID. 
and I know people will talk about COVID and whatever, and you could talk about until the cows come home. But the fact is that 40% of the team tested positive and the NHL didn't postpone games earlier than they did. It's tough because especially with the LA game, that one's going to be pretty difficult. That one was difficult to reschedule, but, and here's the, the other thing with COVID tests is even, even with the battery of tests they are doing, they do have a high false positive rate. So it is likely that players who have, who test positive didn't actually have the disease or like, or even a real con or like really contracted it at a high level, like to a level where they might get symptoms or be asymptomatic and able to spread it. On top of that, what you have is that, that false positive rate in some tests is increasing as the true positive rate decreases. So in an environment where everyone's vaccinated, that's also something that can happen. So it's like, I can see from just looking at the way that these tests work, the NHL is like, okay, how many of these people actually have the disease and how many of them could come out of protocol within a day when they get three or five negative tests in a row after one positive? I noticed too, a lot of people are saying like, how do you get 40% positive when your entire team is vaccinated? And it's just, I just want to put out there for people that being vaccinated does not prevent you from getting COVID or from passing COVID along to your friends and family. Um, And people are like, well, see, it doesn't do anything. But the more people get vaccinated, the more you're going to see results of vaccinated people getting it. Because if 100% of the people are vaccinated, well, then 100% of the people who are still getting it are going to be be vaccinated. Well, the other thing is the vaccine efficacy in men declines quite rapidly in, within six months. And it's one of the bigger mysteries in COVID is why does it decline so fast for men compared to women? And uh, this ran in the New York Times, I want to say two weeks ago. And you, we have to remember that like within six months, the efficacy of the vaccine is, in men reduces by about half. And remember that a lot of these guys probably got vaccinated early got early access to the vaccine compared to us so sure i got vaccinated in may june these guys probably got vaccinated in may sorry not may in march or even january so yeah the efficacy of their vaccine is half or more and and as for the nhl stepping in i think they stepped in really late and i think it I think the NHL has always been really late to the show for a lot of things. They should have like when, when guys started dropping like flies, they should have just been like, okay, let's call it here. Cause they were, they were a visiting team. They weren't even the home team. They were visiting other cities. They should have just been like, yo, like we need to stop this now. They're traveling to other cities. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it was irresponsible for the NHL to allow them to allow them to keep playing. Well, as much as I wanted yeah. to watch hockey, I I'd rather wait and get everybody healthy than, you know, yeah. <laughs> and then on top of that, they missed the boat entirely with San Jose when San Jose had seven players out on COVID protocol. Ottawa, it's obviously intensified because they also had five regulars on injury reserve on top of the 10 players on COVID yeah. to the point where the team that skated out against the Calgary Flames was not real, was outside of the top line and Shabbat Zub, not really the Ottawa Senators. 
So we're going to move away from COVID here for a second here, guys. And we're going to talk about, I would say, some more positive Ottawa news that don't involve COVID. Now, one of the big things has been the goalie controversy in Ottawa involving Matt Murray, Philip Gustafson, and... Sorry. Forsberg. Forsberg. Thank you. I was like... I was thinking, because I've been with the Senators last year, I was thinking how many goals we had. Forsberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Because how many goals did we play last year? Six? Five? Yeah, a lot. Yeah. So one of the big, again, the big controversy really has been between Matt Murray and Philip Gustafson. And I, on this show, I've really commented that I don't think Matt Murray really has played that badly this season. But the thing is, is that when you watch a guy like Philip Gustafson come in, put up better numbers than Matt Murray, and get wins. There's obviously going to be that controversy because, again, Gustafson is really good when he plays, but yet Matt Murray's the one that gets paid the big bucks in Ottawa. Yeah, at this point, it's a, it's a matter of money versus, you know, earning your position. Um, I think they're going to give Matt Murray every opportunity to succeed. They're going to keep trying to. Um, towards the end of last season, Matt Murray had a really good stretch. You know, and then injuries have kind of plagued him, and then he's coming in cold. And I, I think if he can stay healthy, and then he can, you know, get a good month of playing in with, uh, with Gus as a backup. I think, I think Matt Murray, you know, can either show that he's there to be the starter or not. Um, but like you said at the end of the day, like Gus has been Gus. Like he's been, he's been standing on his head. He's been really good. Um, He's he's young and he's very uh, not NHL experienced, so he's had some bad games, which at the end of the day is expected from especially from goalie so young. But like, I don't. To me personally, I would. Again, I don't. I'm not the one who has the money. I'm not the one who runs the team. I would honestly just give the job to Gus and be like, it's yours to lose to Matt Murray. Well, I'd, what's interesting is uh, Bruce Garriock during question period a few weeks back straight up said Matt Murray is not going to get games just because he wants them anymore. And that is big because basically what that says is it's not Matt Murray's to lose anymore. There's a real fight here. Oh, hell yeah. Like you look at Gus right now, he's three wins, three losses and one overtime loss. His goals against isn't great. But at the end of the day, our defense is not very good. Or it hasn't been. It could be if if we'll talk about the defense, I'm assuming, in a bit. But if we keep going down the road with some of these defenders that we have right now, it, it might get better. But still, he's still posting a 915 save percentage. Like, that's that's good considering the Ottawa Senators are, you know, still bottom of the league. <laughs> Especially with guys like Jay Brown, Nikita Zaitsev, and Mete having a hell season. No, last year when we got Mete, everybody's excited because he's so fast. And I remember thinking, like, you guys obviously have not watched him play in Montreal. I was so pissed off. I was like, we don't need Victor Mete. We just don't. It was like it was like a slightly faster Cody CC. Well, I was kind of the opposite when we landed Mete because again, you saw his lack of success in Montreal, but that could often be contributed to the fact that they played him as nine as a nineteen year old defenseman playing big time minutes they expected him to be this guy kind of the way we expected thomas shabbat to be right where he's supposed to be the guy who plays 30 minutes a night comes to ottawa plays less num- plays excuse me less minutes a night on the second and third pairing and all of a sudden he looks hey he's not that bad honestly and i was honestly very ex- happy with him coming into this season but 
I agree with Tim. It just Mete really just hasn't taken off, especially when you have a guy like Eric Branstrom in the minors. He comes up, plays decently, then breaks his hand. And that's like, oh, Jesus. Like, you feel for a guy, even for a guy like Eric Branstrom, you feel for him because, again, just when it looks like he's taken off the ground, something happens to him. He's got the Logan Brown situation happening. Just can't stay healthy. Yeah. <laughs> Which really sucks because, honestly, he's a guy, and I've said this in the past, if there's one guy on this team I really want to see succeed, it's Eric Brastrom. Not just because we acquired him for Mark Stone, but because you see him on the ice, you see the speed, you see the hockey IQ, you see everything going for him, and yet it's just either the team holds him back, his health holds him back, or something holds him back. Yeah. To me, I want to see Brastrom succeed, and it's because of the same reason as everybody else. Uh, we we lost that trade. I, I really want to make sure we didn't belly flop on that trade. And well, the hard thing with Branstrom is like the guy has the skill profile, and that guy is insane. Like when he is healthy and when he's on, like the guy can walk the blue line like almost like a young Eric Carlson, and it's kind of scary. Like we even saw it in his game against LA just during the power on PP2 he would cross like sidestep an entire blue line to keep a wayward puck in the zone. And that's incredible. Well, and not, not many defensemen can do that. Again, we'll look at him when Thomas Shabbat went down last season, yeah. right? Right at the end where you saw Brasher come in and he's just like, holy crap, who is this yeah. guy? Like, and, this people is are, legit Angela. and people are talking about him getting hit a lot. And it's like, okay, he can get hit a lot. And that's fine. He's not, he's still not becoming a defensive liability. It's not, every time he gets hit, it's not causing anything major like to happen. Like it's, it's normal. He's small. He's going to get hit. He's going to get, you know, his ass kicked and it's going to happen, but he's still doing his job very well. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is his size. And that's, again, it's not everybody can be a Martin St. Louis, come in tiny and be a superstar though, right? So who yeah, knows? Sir. Yeah, but when you watch Branstrom, it's just in that game against Boston where he got, definitely got hit by a lot of the Bruins, was that you saw him, he rem- he looked like a lot like Joe Noondyke when he played, where he would get hit, but he looked like he rolled on the hit. He didn't look like Stutzler where he stood, got hit, he falls down. Branstrom looked like he's going to hit. He turns and tries to roll it, kind of like a lacrosse move almost. Mm. I like Branstrom. He, he's he's going to have a spot. Whether it be in Ottawa or somewhere else, he's going to have a spot. Fair enough. So let's move over to Branstrom and talk about some of our other young guys, especially guys like Lassie Thompson, Hetherington, and Igor Sokoloff. Because honestly, I'm going to let you guys take the floor on this because honestly, there's so much that we could really talk about these guys, especially guys like a Sokolov, a Thompson who really came into this just kind of expecting to be a body. And he comes in and people are like, wait, why was this guy in the minors? Why was he not on the big club to begin with? So I think, I think Lassie Thompson is NHL ready. I don't think he's going to play in the NHL this year uh, unless he's called up, but I think he is NHL ready but it'll still do him a lot more good to go down to play in Belleville, which is a good thing because he's just going to get more confident. He's just going to get smarter. He's just overall better. I think Hetherington should stay. Now, this is a guy that Mark Mathon said, he's just going to come in. He's just going to do his job, and that's all he's going to do. But that's all we need because our defense isn't very good. And when this guy called up, could you imagine his mental – like his state of mind was probably – 
oh my God, I'm going to play in the NHL on a team whose defense is very soft. I can literally go in there and just do my job and I could probably stay up here if I can do my job. And that's what he did. He came in, he was physical. He was a really good stay-at-home defenseman. He didn't do anything fancy. He didn't do anything stupid. He just did his job. You did not notice him. And that was and really that was good. great. It's I, incredible. And and I think I would take him over, you know, Zaitsev in a heartbeat, for example. I would take him over Josh Brown. Josh in Brown. A millisecond. Yep. I would take him over Del Zotto. 100%. Well, Del Zotto is weird because this is something I noticed about Michael Del Zotto. When he's he plays to the speed of the rest of the defensemen. So, like, something I noticed during both the Pittsburgh game, the LA game, was that once you had guys like La- you had Lassie Thompson, Heatherington, Brandstrom in, Del Zotto seemed to move faster and he appreciated playing with those guys. But when he's kind of in the bottom, like the bottom stuck with Zeitz have stuck with Josh Brown, even stuck with a gassed hold. And it's the guy just doesn't move. And it's, I'm not sure what it is. I didn't notice. So good on you for noticing that. Maybe he just tries to match the rhythm of you know his defensive pairing. Yeah. No. Uh, Sorry. But yeah. So good. Give a comment here about uh, Thompson, Heatherington. These guys is that really when you watch Heatherington, and I do agree with what you said, and I agree with what Mark Mathot said, was that you definitely don't notice him out there. He's a lot of like kind of like Artem Zub when you watch him. He's definitely a guy that you don't notice him, and that's probably a good thing because he's playing very well in defensive end of the puck. You don't really notice him making big mistakes that you saw with the Dion Phaneuf, Cody CC going on less of all these players. But Thompson's one of these guys that really kind of surprised me. And honestly, I feel he's an NHLer, if I'm being perfectly honest, because I think after that first game, if he had not sustained how he played after that, there's a legit argument like, okay, we rushed him to the NHL too early. He should play in the minors. But you know what? If you play him in that third pairing role as a right shot defenseman, I think he could do pretty decent on this team. I, I want to see him in the future on the top pairing, him and, and Shabbat. I really want to see that. I'll give that, give that uh, like 10 games and see how it goes. Because I honestly think that would be a disgusting pairing. Well, it's like any pairing with Shabbat's going to be pretty well, except Shabbat's, I'd said. But like we did get to see a bit of the Lassie Thompson, Lassie Thompson and uh, Shabbat play together. And it, it looked pretty good. And as do- absolutely dominant that the Shabbat Zub pairing is, Shabbat Thompson didn't look too bad. Yeah, I I like to see Shabbat Thompson. You can put Zub with like JBD, or th- there's a lot of guys that Zub can play. Zub will make an offensive defenseman look really good. Yeah. So, or you know what, man, put him with Sandy. Mm-hmm. No, Sandy and Zub would be disgusting to. Could you imagine that? Can you imagine? You have you have Sandy and and Zub, and then you have Shabbat and and Lassie, like that's that's terrifying. That's you know that one they're defensively smart, and two they can score. Yeah, and then round it out with Brandstrom and Bernard Docker. Yeah, that as a third pairing is pretty terrifying because that's a lot of power, man. That's a lot of offensive power right there. But like, it's just it'd be crazy to watch. I just think I think Ottawa's defense is sore now but it's going to be a lot better yeah and it's like that's the one thing that i've heard a lot of people say about the ottawa senators is this season's a wash 
but if you can see what they're trying to do, and I think that's the important thing, is once you get rid of guys like Josh Brown, Nikita Zaitsev, Nick Holden, Delzato, the picture becomes pretty clear, and it's a pretty good picture. So we're going to move away quickly here from the back end and talk about some forwards. And the big guy that we need to talk about is Shane Pinto, because when Pinto got hurt earlier this season against San Jose, it looked like a pretty serious injury with a shoulder, and it didn't look like he was going to come back for a while. He comes back in the game versus Pittsburgh and then re-enters the shoulder during the faceoff. So the big question I got to ask right here, right now, do you think the Ottawa Senators rushed Shane Pinto's return? 100%. They were too scared. They're, they're losing people and they're like, we need to you know, bring somebody back into the lineup and we got to do something. Right. And that's what they did. They just, they brought him back too soon. Teams do this a lot. Things start going South and they look at a guy who one is, is, is a fan favorite two is a good player. And they're like, okay, you're okay. Okay. Let's come, come play. Hurry up. But they didn't give him enough time to heal properly. Like mm. you said, it looked like a really bad one. I honestly expected him to be gone for at least, I'm going to say probably two, three months, like to properly heal rehab that. Like that's, it looked really bad. So when they said he was coming back, one of the first things I said was, this is not going to end well for Pinto. And they got to be smart. And I got really angry because he's young, he's talented, and he's got a bright future. And you're bringing him back this soon. You're the risk of seriously fucking him up for his career was high. And it made me very angry. And it's just like, this is not a Stanley cup season. I understand you talk to Pinto in a Stanley cup season year and you, and you make that decision together and, and whatever, but this year you go, fuck it, sit down, heal, get better. So yeah. I, I'm a little heated that they brought him back so soon. I think it was one of the dumbest things they could have done. And even if they asked him and he said, yeah, I'm good to go. Like he's going to say, yeah. One, because he's a team guy. Two, because he knows his team needs him. So he's going to say yes. So you don't leave it to a, to a kid to say yes. You, As the team, as the doctors, as management, you need to be the one that's going to be like, I got to protect you from yourself because I know you're going to want to go play. Yeah, but even going back to what I was saying when we're talking about the hockey culture with your tree, maybe Champendel feels that way too, is that if he says, no, I'm not ready to go, there's another guy up from the minors that gets called up. But the thing is, who did this? Who would the senators bring in at that point? Because we were so depleted at center. Like Colin White was gone. Champento was gone. What do you do? Do you put Stutzla at center at that point? Do you bring somebody up on the wing? Like, what do you really do in that situation? Well, it's yeah. like, think about how deplete, like, not even just Ottawa, like, Clark Bishop's gone. You've already got Logan Shaw up. And so you've got your top centers from Belleville are gone too. And I, I love Nick Paul. I love what he's done this year, but he's not a second-line centerman. No. He's not a second-line centerman. It, to be honest, he he shouldn't even be a second-line player. Nick Paul's a third-line player, and he does it really well. He's better than a third-line player, but he's not quite a second-line player. You know what I mean? He's yeah. the kind of guy that you bring up to the second line if you need him. He is your Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Hmm. That's what he is. Yeah. Because I would probably put Alex Formanton in my top six above Nick Paul. Yes. Yeah. But but Nick, but uh, I said it before. Uh, <laughs> Alex Formanton reminds me of the guy that goes to the bar and he's good enough looking to pick up the girl and he picks up the girl, but then he ends up going home by himself. That's what Formanton reminds me of. He's got the speed. He could do it. He just can't bury pucks for some reason. He's like Ryan Zingle. 
pretty much yeah like it's actually it's a really good comparison with all that speed it's just like the speed excites you but every time formington was on a breakaway i never got excited i was more anxious than anything yeah, and that was the thing because he reminded me a lot of Dzingel, but he had a kind of an Eric Condra thing to him where you'd go on a breakaway, you knew he wasn't going to finish. That was kind of the sad thing, right? But... Exactly. So in talks about how the Ottawa centers were so depleted up front, we got to talk about some potential player movements because, you know, when you when you open up Sen's Twitter, there's always going to be people doing – mock trades you think this team will do this a team would do this and obviously there's been lots of teams and lots of players you know from dylan strom to thomas hurdle to even claude Giroux. so again i'm going to open up the floor like if you're the, if you're pierre dorian what kind of a move would you make to help the talent up front i'm looking for a really good mid 20 year old centerman to be my my 2c and then you have pinto playing 3c for the next few years that's what i'm looking for because the defense is going to be there it's developing it's it's it's, it's going to be there but we have our best young forwards playing right now our best guys are here now it's just a matter of developing playing together growing doing all that other fun stuff and i think pinto can be a a, a 2c but if you're trying to make the playoffs and be a contender in the next few years, you need to bring yourself a legitimate 2C who's good enough to almost be your 1C. You know, so then if you bring somebody who could, you know, even be better than Josh Norris, then you have Josh Norris as your second center, right? Like, I, that's what I think they need to go after is a high talented, uh, high, sorry, uh, sorry, I knocked my microphone over. <laughs> um, yeah, a, a big talented center is what you need. Claude Giroux would be good. He might come here during, you know, uh, the offseason he's not going to come here this year via trade nope. why would he why why would even dorian flirt with that right he's 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 a ufa um uh, and if he wants to come to ottawa he can he can come home and retire right and play and i think he might do that who knows we'll see again if philly is really close to winning the cup this year he might not we again giro is one of those guys i'd love to see play in ottawa i've met him a few times personally really good person really good hockey player I kind of hope Philly bombs and he comes to auto next year, but they need to, they need to be going after a centerman. Yeah. And I think, I think fans, I know that they're like looking at like Shane Wright and stuff like that for, for the draft next year. But you have to look at the odds of us landing that number one overall, the odds are slim. We need to use draft picks to go get something we know is good and that, go get yourself a centerman with that pick and with some players. And again, Everyone's going to say Shane Wright, but the odds of landing him are very freaking Well, here's slim. the thing. You wait until the offseason. The prices are going to be better. At the trade deadline, see if some see if some team thinks that adding veteran Nikita Zaitsev is worth a, an extra second. See what we can get for Josh Brown. See what we can get for Holden. Uh, see and if even look to trade a guy like Connor Brown. Well, the thing is, do you really, and I understand that you have to give up stuff to get stuff, but at this point, do you really want to trade a guy like Connor Brown, who's proven to be a very, very good asset for the Ottawa Senators in the top six? Honestly, I'm going Foreman, I'm going Brandstrom, and I'm going a first. Those are my three, my three pieces I'm dangling. 
Yeah, I can see that. Uh, Formington's fast, and if you play him with good players, we've he's like at the beginning of the season before uh, Chucky came back, he's proven he can be good. But he's not going to take over Stitzel's spot, and he's not going to take over Brady's spot. So he's stuck as a third line left winger. So to a team that might need left wingers, I would dangle him. I would dangle the first, and that's where I'd be going. Because even over the past year or so, like there's been guys that you see linked to the Ottawa centers, whether it be, like I said, with a Thomas Hurdle, Dylan Strom, Claude Giroux, but even a Brock Besser. I mean, but when you see guys like this, you're kind of like, yeah, but the thing is the senators generally don't make trades like this since the Matthew Shane trade. They generally don't take these big risks because the last time well, we took a risk look how far that we've fallen since then. to be fair we didn't we haven't been in a place to take a risk like that because we've been rebuilding true but duchene was good he was good when he was here it's just the ottawa senators had other issues that yeah blew up. and right uh, now vancouver is a team i'm looking at for a dance partner because that team is in meltdown mode yeah. I, that's the first team i'd be looking at and with benning who knows, you might actually be able to pull off a fleece job where you could just maybe even get Besser for Connor Brown straight up. You know what's funny? And that would be a win and you take it. Well, here was, here's funny because in 2020, when right before they came back playing in the playoffs from COVID, I was saying to somebody, I says, you know, I wonder if the Canucks would make a trade with the Ottawa Senators, we give them a high second round pick. We take Brock Besser, but we also take Louis Erickson's Louis Erickson's contract as well. Yeah, I mean it would make sense for everybody. I just I hate Louis Erickson so much. True, but um, you know what? You can bury that contract in the minors because honestly, how many more years does Louis Erickson have on that deal? Yeah, yeah. one year or two years left at the time, and you're like. Okay, the Senators are so below the cap salary cap, you could bury that. But, but then Vancouver's probably looking at is we're now we're rebuilding. We're not going to get rid of Besner just so that you know for for only a high second. Like we're just not going to do that just so that we can shave some money that we can get rid of in a couple of years, anyways. Yeah, it's it's a tough situation because they want to shave money, but how bad do they want to? If it was like another five years, I could be like, all right, I could see it. Be like, okay, yeah, maybe, but. So if we take on something like Tucker Tucker Poolman plus Tyler Myers, but that's too much poison. That's a lot. I was about to say that's that's too much too poison. Much. Yeah, there's no coming back from that. <laughs> I mean, as much as I can make a Simpsons reference when it comes to Poolman, no. But again, we can speculate. There's a lot of trade speculations out there. A lot of players. You can ask a hundred cents fans. Their top two players they like to realistically go after and you would get a lot of the same like repeated players but you'd get a lot of surprise answers yeah. you know like it's just a matter of who you talk to like i know people have talked a lot about um you know strom but i mean what is strom really going to make your team better for the next you know five ten years is that really what you want like what are you looking yeah. for depends yeah. what you want so but that was like even people on twitter were talking about even in St. Louis and this is before we line of Zach Sanford where you say well what about a guy like Vince Dunn and it's like, okay, but you've also got to realize we have JVD, Thompson, Sanderson coming up. So does it make sense to make the trade on the back end? Exactly. That's why we have those old shitty guys now. They're just freaking keeping the seat warm for the boys yeah. when they come, when they show up. That's all that is. So, yeah, it's 
I don't know. I'm more like I said, I'm more worried about at the center position. But like to me, the biggest question mark is always gonna be the goaltending. Like Otto hasn't had consistent good goaltending in a long time. Like even Anderson, like Anderson stole games for us and he was good, but he was never like a, a true Stanley Cup contender goalie. You know what I mean? He wasn't that that team that like people were like, oh man, I'd love to have Andy on the team. You know, like when Holtby was there and, and all these other guys were there, he was never in that, you know, the same conversation as those guys. Yeah. He, um, he kind of had like a Ron Tugnut thing to him where he was like a very higher end version of Ron Tugnut where it was like great goalie for if you need him, but he's not a yeah. franchise goalie that team would go out and acquire out of the way. Great. That's a great comparison. Yeah, I think at least for Ottawa, probably the most parsimonious answer to the center is see if Claude Giroux becomes available. If not, then work the trades. Yeah, but he's been playing the wing for quite a bit now. That's like, true. true. I mean, you could still play him at the center because he is, we, I think he was naturally a centerman, right? Yep. But he's really thrived on that wing. But at the same time, if you come to Ottawa, I'm guessing it'd be something they would discuss before signing. Right? Where are you going to play C or if you're going to play the wing? Mm-hmm. I, I, I just want to see Giroux, period, man, in Ottawa. <laughs> he's, he's a good guy. He is, he's such a good guy. Okay, guys. So the final point we got to make here is something that you actually brought up, Joseph, in your notes when we you and I were talking about this episode, defining what 2021-22 a success. There's a lot of ways you can define this. You can define it as an improvement on how we were last year. You can improve it on us being even being a playoff team, a wild card team, whatever you want to say. How do you guys define the 2021-22 Ottawa Senators season a success? At this point, unless Ottawa goes on some sort of ham- like turbo hamburger run, you basically look at, we flush out a few of those bad defense contracts and we set up for next year. To me, the difference between a winning season and a losing season is, is going to be a lot about personal goals. So it's going to be about, um, it's, it sounds really stupid and selfish, but where the players are, like, can Chucky come up in his points? Can, like, Batherson already, like, look at Batherson. That guy's, oh, my God. Batherson right now is, 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 is amazing. To me, it's the personal achievements from individual players that I want to see get better. We may not win more games. We might lose more games. Who knows? Again, it's, about individually everybody getting a little bit better and no matter how bad you shit the bed, the chemistry's still there. That's what I want to see because the winning will come once the defense comes in and starts to get better. The goaltending starts to get more consistent. If you can make it through your, your growing pain individually and wait for the defense to come in, then this year, a win would be literally just individually getting better and still being really close group. Cause I don't think we're going to, I don't think we're going to make it anywhere near the playoffs this year. We're not going to have a hamburger on crack run. We're just not, but, but if we're not in the bottom five, I'm happy. People are going to say, well, at what point do we look at, at tanking just so we can try and get that number one overall. It's not going to work. It's just, we had two in the top five last year. And we got third and fifth. Okay, so if, if we have a two, uh, you know, two out of five chance of getting it or whatever, and we didn't, we're not going to get it with one 
over uh, one uh, first overall, uh, one first uh, round pick. So yeah, and on top of that, Arizona Arizona fucking exists. Exactly, exactly. So people just need to get out of that mentality. But I just want to see individually people get better, mm-hmm. while everybody still remains a close knit team because they're literally like they're like a little frat. You can tell they're like a little fraternity. Like it's. It's kind of adorable. I look at them as kids, right? Because I'm a lot older than most of those kids. And it's just like, yeah, there, yeah. So you go, oh, that's adorable. You know, like Brady Kachuk is trying to hide behind his stick while skating towards Stutzla, you know, stuff like that. Or like, you know, it'll be a fight and then Brady's in the box and Stutzla's looking at him with a little smirk. You know, just stupid things like that. You just know they're like, they're like college roommates is what it is, right? You want that chemistry to stay. So as long as the chemistry's there and everybody's individually getting better, that's where I think that's what I want to see. That that's a win to me. A loss is if as if you know people just stop having fun. Mm-hmm. And if and if we're in the bottom two again. I think for myself, defining this season as a success has to rely on two things. And the one thing you've already commented about is the personal growth of the players from a Stutzla Batherson to Chuck, but also I want to see an improvement on the record. And I said at the beginning of the season, I think the Ottawa Senators will finish fifth in the Atlantic division, because honestly, no, obviously if you look at the division right now, it's like, okay, how does these teams stay on the top? But that would be a success. If the Senators finish fifth, I think that's a very reasonable expectation finish fifth in the division and keep growing because we've got guys coming up in the system. Like I said, with the Sanderson's JBDs, but if we can acquire some talent up front, we could potentially be a wild card team next year. But again, it's, it's hard to say, right? Because again, we've had so many things go against us. We've had injuries, COVID players, not playing up to expectations. So it's kind of hard to, determine where this season's going to go right where are we going to be a team that lands shane Wright, or are we going to be a team that finishes higher than what we did last year i saw somebody comment on twitter and i'm not sure who it was and they're like they should have let uh timmy play in europe last year and i know that the last year the organization needed to win they needed to win for the fan base and i get that but I don't totally disagree that they they should have let him play another year in Europe because now people are talking about like should he go down should he go down and play in Belleville for for like a couple of weeks or something, and it's just like to help him gain his confidence. It's just like he might do better, but sending him down there is just going to hurt his confidence yeah. from the start. Well, the other thing is with Tim Stutzla is it's not for a lack of trying. It's not for a lack of really setting the fucker up. The guy sh- just should have more points. It's a lot of it is he's getting robbed or just weird stuff happens and he misses the net. It's like if he keeps doing what he's doing and things will go right and it's gonna go well, but it's yeah. just frustrating to watch. And he's an NHL player, he's yeah. a good NHL player. I don't get the discussion, and frankly, it's kind of dumb. I know people are like they we and we all want more, and I think Stutzel can do a lot more. Like he's only played 68 NHL games and he's got 35 points, right? Like that's still really good. That's still really, really, really good. Like he's only going to give, I think it's just a matter of people can't think like he's broken. Like he's not broken. He's just, just like Shabbat last year. Didn't have the greatest season. People are like, well, no, Shabbat's not great. It's like, no, no. Shabbat's been playing above expectations 
since he's come into the league. Now he's just finally playing a, a normal season, and people are like, oh, my God, he sucks. No, 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 no. He, he's doing what all young defensemen or all young players do. You know, they're learning, they're building, they're going to have good seasons, they're going to have bad seasons. Same thing with Sitzel. Last year, I think, was a successful season for him. This year so far, not so much. Who knows? We'll see how the rest of the season goes. But even if he has a shitty season and he keeps going the same way he's going, who cares? He's just a baby, man. He's only, you know, a year and a half into the league, like after this, after the season, a year and a half in the league. Like, just, just breathe. Not everyone's going to come in and be Connor McDavid. So... You know, look, look, Lafanya, Jack Hughes, like these are guys that are same struggles, man. Same struggles. Yeah. Or Capo Caco still hasn't put it together. Exactly. And I don't know if Capo Caco ever will, but if he does, then yeah, perfect success story. I think the one comment about Tim Stutz, or not so, so much Tim Stutz, but the team itself, is that the, again, talking about since Twitter, is that James Wood on Twitter, he made a really good comment the other day about how Sense fans are already 15 games into the season. They're talking about tanky for Shane, right? And he says that has that real loser energy to it. And that's something Sense fans shouldn't have. And I think that's great. I honestly feel if that's one guy who feels that way, then why is it we all feel, some of us feel that way too, right? It's just like, why is it the fans 15 games into the season are already thinking, okay, we could probably land the number one pick. See, I, and I, I said this at the beginning of the season. I don't want to tank for Shane Wright. I would rather play our asses off and pick 15th overall in the middle where we might get somebody good, we might not, but have a, a decent season than tank and try and go for that number. Because the current team we have now, when those guys you know just squeak by and they're in 15th place and they have a really – that means more to them than tanking to get Shane Wright. Because they're like, cool, Shane Wright would be great, but you know what? I want to win now. It's just – I think it does more for a player's psyche when you purposely tank the season. So kudos to James Wood on saying that because it's true, man. We I want to win every game. I want to win every game. I don't want to lose them for Shane Wright. I don't want to lose them for Connor McDavid. I want to win every game because I want to watch hockey. I might not be here next year. I might be dead. So while I'm here, I want to watch as many winning games as possible. Pretty fucking much. But you know what, though? I think it really speaks to even the players in the organization. Like, if we had that loser mentality, Brady wouldn't have signed the contract he has. Shabbat wouldn't have signed the contract he has. If we had that, then we'd be losing Tim Stutzla in the end. We'd be losing Josh Norris. Batherson wouldn't have signed the contract he has. These players have bought into this idea that we are closer to being a playoff team than we are to a tanking team. Well, it's how you become the Buffalo Sabres, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Can we just talk about Drake Batherson's contract really quick? Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, okay. my gosh. So, yes. so I, I think the best comparison for contract versus skill is Nathan McKinnon. You're looking at the contract and you're going, that is going to be such a bargain contract. But when it's up, we're screwed. <laughs> but for it's now, it's the Alfie contract. Enjoy, yes, let's enjoy this. Con- oh, my God. It's when I, when I, so I've been an advocate for Drake Batherson for like three years now, man. I love this kid. I, I, I've had his autograph cards for this is going to be the third season. I've been just stockpiling his stuff. Cause I'm like, I know where this kid's going. So when I saw his contract, I was just like, Oh, I bite on my knuckle. I'm like, that is sexy. <laughs> yeah. Which is funny because like, I've never been always been on the bath wagon more than a lot of people have. And I think for myself, and I even mentioned this last season when we had Canuck from the Suns call-ups talking about in their second half recap where he said, you know, I wasn't always on the bath wagon, but you know, when you watch, him play and you see him develop 
it's hard not to jump on the wagon now. It's just like, oh my God, like that is such a bargain contract. And the fact is, we could have got him on a bridge deal. If we got a bridge deal, we'd be so fucked right now. Yeah. And and I can prove I, I I can't prove it right now, but I can prove it. The my I have one retro reverse sense jersey and it's Batherson. I chose my retro reverse to be a Drake Batherson jersey. I was like, I bought into this shit last year. Like I'm like, yeah. I'm all in. Tim's got a Batherson black jersey right now, too. Yep, my home jersey's Batherson. <laughs> my office, I have um uh, right now I have dry sidle and my Brady Kachuk jersey. Nice. My boss is a Neulers fan, so I can't have an all Ottawa Senator. <laughs> <laughs> and he signs my paycheck, so I was like, all right, whatever, okay, I'll let fine. you have. Oh, yeah, exactly. I'm like, you're lucky I don't pay my office black and red. But um, my next jersey is gonna be Norris. I really want a Norris jersey. That's another contract that I'm interested to see what's gonna happen with because I think he's gonna have something similar to uh Brady, uh, in in dollars and in terms because they're going to look at it and be like i may not be the captain but i am the point getter like i am this guy right so it's going to be totally different from any other contract negotiations we've seen so far with ottawa he's not the defender he's not just going to be the pure scorer he's not going to be the captain he's going to be the playmaker guy who's going to shoot from his office and score a lot 100 percent so guys, do you have any more comments you want to before we wrap off into the close for this episode? No, I'm good. Same. My wife's gonna kill me. It's dinner time. Excellent. I gotta pee. Joseph, <laughs> I can't thank you enough for joining us for this episode. It's great to have you back on the podcast once again. Now, before we head into the close, where can our listeners find you on social media? And of course, where can they find your new hockey podcast? So, but again, the podcast isn't up yet. Uh, it's there's still lots going on. You could find me though on Twitter at JD underscore hockey talks. Um, I tweet regularly daily. Uh, you can DM me, you can tweet at me, you can comment on my stuff. I'll always talk hockey, uh, pretty much any sports, but hockey is my thing. Um, I, in fact, I encourage it because the more people that are talking, the better, right? Like that's kind of what I use Twitter for is sports. So. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter at Third Line Plug. Our Twitter handle, Tim, is at M901 Honey Badger, and I'm at Great White Gipser, GR8, WYTE Gipser. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about our cover athlete, top of the hour, or you want to give some comments on Joseph St. Amour's third appearance on the Third of the Plug Sensecast, choose an email, thirdofthepluggedsensecast at gmail.com. Okay, Tim, so for the games of the week, now, thankfully, we've got four <laughs> games on the schedule. Thank God, at this moment, not postponed. Monday night, we are in Colorado to play the Avalanche. And then from Friday to Saturday, we are heading to California for the road California road trip to play San Jose on Wednesday, Anaheim on Friday, and Saturday at Los Angeles. Now, Damn, it's been a while since California road trip. Their, their arena because that's not the Stable Center anymore. Oh my God, freaking Crypto Doc! I hate that it has the URL in the goddamn name. Why do they like, just call it the Crypto Center? Well, it's like. They're named after the brand is crypto.com, right? Anyway, until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson, and this has been Tim Jensen. Go, sounds guys. Woo. What are you holding on to? Yelling up in the stars above you.
you holding on to, saying that I 